This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. Experience the empowering feeling of the Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Get $750 cash towards the lease of our 2024 NX350 all-wheel drive. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease cash offer and pricing details. Restrictions apply. Not all customers will qualify. Offer available in the Lexus Eastern area and it's April 1st, 2024. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap. Claw up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh, all right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 343, coming to you on Tuesday, November 5th. We're going to look back at USC's 32 point loss to the Oregon Ducks. Try to make sense of it, listen to the rants, open up the mailbag, and so much more. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansign.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We have uh, had a few days to look back at this one. Uh, USC losing to Oregon. The game that we said was the biggest game of the season, which I think it was. Uh, surely Utah, in, in in a lot of ways, always is because of what it means for the Pac-12 South. But given USC's trajectory this season and given their goals of, you know, getting to Santa Clara and eventually trying to get onto a Rose Bowl, this was it. Nessie lost by 32. Yeah. It was not. Didn't turn out exactly like USC would have hoped, right? No, it did not. We, it, we all went into that game thinking, man, this is a game USC has a chance to win. A lot of, a lot of people were actually even picking USC as the sort of upset favorite. I mean, I did. I picked yeah. SC to win. I In the preview, I said there was no way SC was going to get blown out at home because that doesn't happen at the Coliseum. No football reasons, Michael. Yeah, in the preview, I said that there was no way USC was going to get blown out because that does not happen at the Coliseum. Yeah, no football reasons, Michael. No football reasons. We need a shirt, apparently. No football reasons. To be fair on the football reasons thing, we said that there's no football reasons why SC can't win this game, right? And like looking back on it, well, like, I said, was no, that I wrong? Said, I don't think I it said was there wrong. were no football reasons that Oregon should lose this game. So I was yeah, right on that score. It's my catchphrase. That's true. But, uh, you know, what it turned out to be <laughs> is that the non football reasons that we highlighted as the reasons why USC could pull off this upset uh, were ultimately they went against USC. And this is kind of that 
What's interesting is that we're in the stage where USC is five and four heading into the last three games of the season. And that's exactly where they were last year five and four heading into the last three games of the season. And interestingly, around the same time, it's sort of parallel the way that USC's home mystique gets blown up uh, and our perception of what USC does or doesn't do at home gets blown up around the same time. Last year, it was the ASU game where we went into that game saying USC is going to beat ASU because USC doesn't lose at home to inferior opponents. That's just Clay Helton just doesn't do it. And then ASU comes in and beats USC. And going into this game, this Oregon game, we look at it and say USC doesn't get blown out at home, even if they're playing a, a top 10 opponent. We've seen them be competitive in these games and Mystique blown up. So the last three games of the season, are, are we going to see the same kind of parallels? Like, I don't know. But either way, we thought that uh, we thought that USC was uh, was stronger at home and Oregon had something to say about that. And basically, they are who we thought they were. That too. Yeah. Yes. Still applies. <laughs> Anyways, we got a bunch of rants. Let's get to them. USC fans riled up about USC's loss to the Oregon Ducks. Let's uh, roll the footage. Hello. My hope is that this message reaches Alicia before your car cast and suffers from a brain aneurysm due to an apoplectic attack. Do not feel anger. Do not feel frustration. Be zen in the knowledge that the root of your angst will soon be gone. Sleep well by taking solace in the fact that Clay Hilton will be fired sooner rather than later. Namaste. This is Jay from Alhambra. Take care, Raina Troy. Have a good night. Fight on. Raina Troy Radio, what's up? This is Dave from Orange County. Hey, Raina Troy, this is L.A. Fred. Brandon out of Austin, Texas. Sean here from beautiful Austin, Texas. Hey, man, this is Steve from Texas. What's up, Raina Troy? It's your boy, Brandon. Hey, Nick and Alicia, it's Jeff in Copenhagen. Scott from Memphis. That was a great first quarter. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm watching the game right now, and USC honestly could be up 17-7. to The turnovers are one thing, but it's the red zone turnovers that have really kind of doomed SC tonight. Keaton Slovis through a Donald amount of picks. Oh, not USC Donald. We give up 113 freaking yards to the Orange offense in the first half, and they got 21 points off of our freaking turnovers. You can't win putting the bag on ball over, man. You can't do it. We held, I, I looked over the stats. We had held them to 113 yards. Oregon only had 10 minutes of possession time. They had 112 yards of penalties in the first half. Even with all of our turnovers, our fail to capitalize, a pick six, we scored right at the end of the first half. We're going to be down by four damn points. And then, of course, the kickoff return. And for me, that absolutely just ended the game. How do you not squid kick there? It's a total joke. Just want to express my frustrations with uh, the Zebras. Like, where do these referees go? Like, Jiffy Lube State? They're terrible. Terrible. And I know the Pac-12 refs are not great, but lack of discipline across the board. So many personal fouls. More and more and more racking up penalties that are just discipline fouls. I mean, like, this team has to change every single problem that we've had. It's the same thing. Turnovers. The same. In key moments. Offense. Stalling after the first quarter. Hell, the first freaking try. That's been the thing for Essie, and it has not changed. I can't believe we still have press 
there's no way this can go on. It's time for this faith, family, football, oh golly gee, love of my life, summer church camp crap to end. Get a new coach, get a new program, start winning football games, fight on. Look, let's fire Clay Helton after this game, please. Just, just please, just fire his ass, man. This guy doesn't have a clue on how to coach a great college football team. He has no clue. And it should have happened last night in the post-game press conference. Dr. Fultz should have come into the press conference, told Clay, bring your playbook, bring your keys, come to my office. Your services will no longer be required. Yeah. Athletic Director, Mr. Mike uh, Bum, uh, go ahead and uh, make that hire. Urban Meyer now, please. We need Urban. I'm not saying Urban Meyer. I don't care who they put in there. But get Clay Hilton as far away from USC football as humanly possible. What a frustrating and disappointing outing. I mean, top to bottom, it was an embarrassment. Oregon was chanting na-na-na-na at us, at USC, in our own home because we were leaving. That's crazy, bro. It feels like I've been punched in the gut and I can't take it away. I've been holding off calling out all these years because I've just not wanted to rant this loudly um, and complain about this, but it is just an absolute embarrassment to watch the uh, USC football sink to this level. The worst loss at home since 2009, the second worst all-time loss to Oregon. I mean, this stuff is just... Uh... I don't know what we're going to do for the rest of the season. I don't even know if we're going to get bowl eligible. This is really a raise because, like Alicia said, it produces clarity. We've got a new AD. Let's move on. That's just my uh, take on this. That's my rant. Fight on. Love the podcast and fight on. Well, fight on until they tell us not to. Yeah. Fight on and y'all have a good one. Fight on, everybody. Oh, the Rotbots. My favorite thing, literally my favorite thing, is the Zen, the Zen call to start the whole thing just everything about that call the music in the background the 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 namaste every everything just oh perfect perfect yeah we were listening to it in the studio on sunday and just cracking up it was great perfect uh it like just encapsulated said. the feeling 100 mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> percent. uh there, there's more rants to come we've saved a lot of the calls uh for the mailbag portion of the show because so many of the rants we got weren't like ranty rant line rants. They were just, you know, vocal therapy. And we're going to get to a lot of those later on in the mailbag. So if you didn't make the rant line and you're like, what happened? I thought I'd make it. You might be uh, moved over to the mailbag. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Alicia, it's a big week because USC is coming here to me. The Trojans are playing Arizona State in Tempe on Saturday afternoon, but we are having a meetup on Friday night in downtown Phoenix, 7 p.m. November 8th, Friday night, at Churchill uh, on First Street in downtown Phoenix. It's going to be a fun time. It's a cool little place. We've talked about it before here on the show, and we'd love to have you there. Uh, it is a li- it's like a uh, food court, but for bars. It's a bar court, uh, and there's a little food place in there that has pizza and stuff. It, it is... Super cool. Uh, it's 21 plus and it's uh, dog friendly. Yeah, low key, I'm excited for the pizza. I've been craving pizza all week and I don't know how good the pizza is going to be, but it'll be pizza and that will serve my craving. That's fine. Pizza's pizza. There's no yeah. such thing as bad pizza. This is true. Well, in, uh, unless you're getting the, bowling alley pizza from a bowling alley in Santa Maria, but you know. I don't know. The pizza who's talking in the UK, about specifics here? 
the pizza at EVK tried its darndest to convince me that there is such a thing as bad pizza. Still ate it every night, so, you know, that's maybe a me problem. But either way, it should be fun to hang out with the robots eating hopefully good pizza and uh, talking USC or not, not not talking USC. Maybe we'll have other fun things to talk about, like Thanksgiving dinners. Off-topic stuff. You mean we talk about off-topic stuff? We would never. I know. I know. It's not like we've recorded several episodes, especially over on Patreon, uh, including Takes with Jake with our buddy Jake Merrifield, uh, talking about a bunch of random stuff. Uh, and we just talked about Thanksgiving dinners over in the Rot Crew on our Slack channel. Uh, you can join the Rot Crew over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy for 10 bucks a month. For five fifty five, you can get all of our bonus episodes. But for 10 bucks, you get bonus episodes plus the Slack channel. Talk to us nonstop as much as you want. And, you know, Monday, it was, dare I say, lit, as the uh, as the kids would say. It was very, very lit for people like uh, you and I who are prone to procrastination. And when the robots give you an excuse to procrastinate, you'd grab it with both hands and talk about ideal Thanksgiving meals and other random things. I, I mean, I, I can't even keep track of all the, the topics that were that were broached on Monday. Yeah. AD In- searches, head coach searches. So there was so football talk, things. but then there was everything else. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy is where you can join uh, our community over on Patreon. You can also support the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, uh, formerly known as iTunes. And at least here we got a couple of new reviews. First one comes from Brewwin with an exclamation point. Brewwin. Uh, it says, great podcast, five stars. Disclaimer, I'm a lifelong UCLA fan. Oh, I didn't know that Keely was leaving us a review. This is kind of cool. <laughs> uh, I listen to the What's Brewing show on a regular basis. However, I'm a fan of the great work that Rot does and the content they provide. Over the years, I've learned more about the Trojan program and the fascinating storylines that have been tied to USC, all thanks to this podcast. By no means do I consider myself an SC fan, but the content produced by Michael and Penguin is simply excellent. Thanks for all the work you guys do for each episode, and thank you for allowing fans from opposing teams, including Bruins, uh, the ability to learn about SC each week. Keep up the great work, and here's hoping for a bright future of college football in Los Angeles. Look at that. Yeah, that's all. I I always love when we get reviews from fans of opposing teams and, and other teams who appreciate the information that we give. That means we're doing something right, so I'll take it. Yeah, that means we are doing something right, uh, but... Hold on to your horses. <laughs> Hold on to your hat. Whatever the phrase is. Uh, next one comes from $10 Father, and it says, They are Tola Hyperbole. Uh, it might be hyperbole. It might not actually be hyperbole, but I'm just going to say it's hyperbole because it, it's you. Uh, Alicia Daratola is not capable of providing insightful analysis without sarcasm and super negativity. It is possible to be critical and honest about the team's many shortcomings without falling into an absolute despair. College football is hard, and she fails to realize the other teams have athletes and coaches who are working hard to prepare. She makes the podcast unlistenable. You love that one because you're, usually you're the... Uh, I'm shocked. I'm honestly shocked. I mean, this seems like something that people write in about me on the regular. <laughs> uh, I mean... I won't say thanks for a one-star review because, you know, not exactly helping. But um, I also think that uh, $10 Father clearly hasn't been listening to the podcast long. 
if they think that uh, I failed to realize how hard football is because I literally spent three years being, for lack of a better word, a Clay Helton shill that was explaining away. I actually think this is a case of optimistic, Alicia. Yeah, I've had to put up with a lot of criticism over the years for being a USC shill who made excuses for Clay, who claimed that Clay was a good coach after he won the Rose Bowl and the Pac-12, who claimed that it's, you know, it's hard to succeed in, in, in college football, especially with all the injuries that USC had. I am the queen of the excuses uh, make, making for this team. So, um, sorry if I don't take it that seriously. If someone turns around and says that I clearly don't understand these things, cause all that happened is I got tired of it and I'm not going to do it anymore. And yeah, I'm going to be sarcastic and negative because this team warrants sarcasm and negativity. That's all I can say. You, you know what's funny to me? I feel like we always get heat from both sides of Which the... Which tells us we're doing something right. That's that's the way I view it. <laughs> uh, the, the super sunshine pumpers are say that we're too negative. Uh, and and the, the fire and brimstone crowd... Uh, says that you know we're, we're we're too positive, so which which my always my thought is always you know things are never as bad as they seem and things are never as good as they feel right like mm-hmm. it's always somewhere in the middle things are always somewhere in the middle it's it's a world of gray it's not black and white uh, and I think that's the that's what we try to do on the on the podcast is to bring color to that because it's not really black and white but when you get in situations like where USC is now. Um, yeah, you know, when SC was winning 10, 11 games in the Clay Helton era, uh, there, there was some color needed to provide there. Uh, things are a little bit different now. Um, but yeah, they just are. There. I don't know. There, I, I was reflecting today that, uh, Tuesday, by the time people are listening to this, Tuesday, um, is the first college football playoff release of the season. And USC, I don't have to prep anything. I don't have to get ready uh, ready a post for the site. I don't have to watch the show. I don't have to monitor the show. Don't have to care at all. Um, the Pac-12 puts out their team of the week. I don't have to look at that press release. I don't have to check where does USC fit. Sunday mornings are a hell of a lot easier for me because I don't have to look and see where is USC ranked in the latest AP and coaches poll. Um while all of these things make my life a tiny bit easier because I don't have to deal with them, it's a sad state of affairs when USC is in a position where I literally don't have to check award watch lists, I don't have to check semifinalist lists, I don't have to check rankings, I don't have to check playoff discussion, and I barely have to check bowl discussion. And that's really just to see, is USC, is anyone think USC is in line for the cheese bowl <laughs> Can we talk about bowls for a second? Because... So many of the bowl projections and, you know, our, our friend Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com always talks about how he hates bowl projections. I get it. I get it because the the, the discrepancy in where the, the the projections are and what the standings are at the end of the season is, is wild. This year, especially, if you look at the standings, everyone's super close, uh, more so in the overall record. Uh, it's less so in the conference record, obviously, but there's such a... there's Endless possibilities of where SC could be ranked. SC could should, could be the third best team in terms of conference record, and at that point, you're looking at potentially the Alamo Bowl. But yet, yeah. you look at a lot of these these you know projections, and they have SC going to the Sun Bowl or whatnot, and it's like, but if you look at the conference records, that's not really the case. So, but and that's the, the crazy thing is, is that USC is in a position where 
They legitimately could be eight and four, which is a, a record that we highlighted as a potential likelihood for USC. So we couldn't exactly right. be mad about it. Right. And USC could legitimately not go to a bowl game this year. Yeah. Like there is a very believable scenario where USC doesn't go to a bowl game at all. So like, how can you possibly prognosticate over where USC is going to go to a bowl game when we can barely prognosticate if USC is going to beat Arizona State this Saturday? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the conference standings right now. SC has a chance to be 7-2 and two in conference. Which is, which is excellent. Which is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but they would still be 8-4. and four. But yeah, if they go 7-2 and two in, in conference, they're going to the Alamo Bowl. Like, that's just where they're going. So... You know, barring what happens to to Utah or Oregon, whoever loses the Pac-12 championship game, or UCLA, who knows? You you never know what goes on on there. On the bowl thing, we can all agree at this stage with USC pretty much out of the Rose Bowl discussion. We can all agree it's Vegas or bust, right? Yeah, sure. My I'm the lone exception. I want the cheese at bowl for nothing to do with football and everything to do with the fact that there's literally a bag of cheese that's sitting next to me as we record this thing. And I would gorge myself. Yeah, Vegas or bust. It's on the 21st. So we could like go out there on like that Wednesday or Thursday and just hang out the 18th, maybe 19th. Hang out until Sunday. It'll be a fun time yeah. in Vegas. Be- best case scenario. Yeah. Best best part of that is it's the weekend that that stupid movie drops. You don't have to worry about that. Oh, is it though? Yeah. So you don't have to. You'll be able to skip that. I might. I might skip the, the, the Vegas Bowl. Not gonna lie. Oh, come on. I already have plans, Michael. It's a stupid mo- stupid Star it's Trek movie. It's a stupid movie that matters to me. It, you can watch it any time in your life on DVD, like in I, two months. I can't watch it any time on opening night in my life. <sighs> Everyone knows the plot anyways. Uh, uh, Spock dies <laughs> Dumbledore, at the end. Dumbledore dies on page 467. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we'll be right back with the news up next. We'll be right back. Last week on Friday, there were reports that USC had zeroed in on their new athletic director, and it was going to be Mike Bone of Cincinnati, formerly of Colorado, San Diego State, Idaho, a guy with you know almost 20 years of athletic director experience, something that is incredibly refreshing for USC, who just tends to hire good football players. Uh, and the, the consensus from a lot of folks was that it was going to be announced early this week. Here we are. It's Monday that we're recording this. It is Tuesday that you're listening to this. Uh, it's a good chance he has not been announced uh, as the uh, the AD yet. Yeah, it's interesting, um, A, that USC ends up with 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 Mike Bone, who is who doesn't know the fight. He, he sort of ticks all the boxes, right? He doesn't know the fight song. Uh, he's totally unconnected to USC. There's a juicy little Urban Meyer connection that you can point to. Um, he his time at Colorado maybe not the greatest uh, run for him, but at Cincinnati it's been a good deal. People at Cincinnati are sad to see him go, and he recently hired Luke Fickle, who is one of the up and coming Group of Five uh, head coaches out there. So it's like, okay, let's just get this going then. Mike Bone, get in here, get moving, make your decisions, and go. And you know, Monday ticks by, ticks by, ticks by, and still nothing. Still nothing. 
Uh, so what does that mean? I don't know. USC going to USC. USC likes to delay these kinds of things forever for no apparent reason, except that USC is still USC. Yeah, we'll see what happens if it, if it gets announced. But yeah, Mike Bone is interesting because we talked about it on Patreon in a snap take. If, if you're a patron uh, for us, you can go back and listen to there. Uh, really, all of our, our thoughts were that what you just summed up, that him not having USC connections, huge step forward. Uh, there were tweets out there that, you know, he was maybe like USC's seventh option. Uh, you know what that means? That means that they targeted six ADs before him, which means USC knew the names of six ADs. Uh, did we all know for sure that SC knew the name of six ADs like three months ago? Probably not. So if nothing else, it's a refreshing kind of hire. Uh, it like I was listening to to Tunnel Vision uh, over from USCFootball.com, and you know Ryan kind of nailed it that it's not that he's the greatest AD in the world. He's probably not the worst either, but so far ahead uh, of where USC has been putting uh, the eggs in their basket, right? With 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 these AD hires who are Heisman Trophy winners and national champions, uh, and and all that, then you you gotta you you gotta hire someone who knows what they're doing. If nothing else, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, and and at this stage, USC is in a position where they can't command the cream of the crop when it comes to an AD. Like, if you're Clemson's AD, are you leaving Clemson, where you have a national title-winning head coach, to come fix the dumpster fire that is USC's athletic department? Probably not. Uh, If you're in a good spot, if you're in a good position in the Power Five at a Power Five school, chances are you would be taking a risk to come to USC. And so the calculation would, would be very difficult. Uh, so the idea, like in hindsight, looking at a group of five uh, uh, AD who has experience, who isn't connected and who can come in and just put the, the athletic department on their feet and be enthusiastic about it. I think you, you gotta be, you gotta be on board with it. But uh, the, the, the truth of the matter is that this, this AD will be judged by his hires and, his decisions, his big decisions, and those kinds of things, we'll see. We, we have no idea if if they're going to get that right. We're going to have to see how USC proceeds. Yeah, we will just wait uh, until USC throws the media bone and announces it. <laughs> Boom-tish. Yeah, I was uh, I was waiting for that one uh, to sneak that in there. Uh, other news coming out of USC are little uh, nicks and bruises and probably some serious injuries that USC has suffered uh, recently, uh, Clay Helton talked about these things on his Sunday night conference call. Yeah, so there were really only three injury updates from the Sunday conference call. The most major of them is Liam Jimmins, USC's backup right guard. He suffered a dislocated elbow, which Ow. next to a dislocated Ow. kneecap sounds like the worst injury one could get on a football field. Um, Anytime dislocation is involved, that doesn't sound I fun. I think dislocated eyeball is a little bit higher, but still. Uh, yeah. d- okay, d- fine. On the on the grand scheme of dislocated eyeball, <laughs> disco- dislocated kneecap, dislocated elbow. There we go. How, how do you rank all the dislocations? That should be a, a conversation we have. You know what? Rank this sounds all like the a Slack conversation. And, and send us a tweet, hashtag rot dislocation, and, and rank all the dislocations. How you Yeah, this is going to get gruesome. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Liam Jimmins <laughs> suffered a gruesome injury and is out for an extended period of time, according to Clay Hilton. He didn't put a number of weeks on it, 
but it he did use the word uh, extended, which seems to me that that would be season ending without being yeah. season ending. I really liked what Liam Jimmons had shown, and he was a quite a good option to bring in for either uh, either Jalen McKenzie at right guard, or if you if you needed to take Drew Richmond out and put Jalen McKenzie at right tackle. Liam Drummond's gave you some some uh, versatility there as far as your ability to use Jalen McKenzie. So it's a bummer to see him uh, go out because he was really the first choice off the bench for for the offensive line. So we'll see how USC copes with that going forward, but I don't expect to see him for the rest of the regular season at the very least. Uh, the other two injuries are um, that uh, Greg Johnson ended up uh, having a concussion and also... Um, Dominic Davis is in concussion protocol. So, uh, tough tough time here in the Dominic Davis fan club. By the way, I, I know that's a I know I know you had a wonderful moment where you got to see him carry the ball. Yeah, a couple of times to but... carry sixteen yards, his number, uh, including an eleven yard master masterpiece of a freaking run. Yes, yeah, it, like that was needs to be at the beginning of his Heisman reel. Like you start with that one. And then the next one is the the three touchdowns he scores against ASU this week when he comes back from the protocol. You really just got to tell a story, right? Like you got to yeah, start exactly with that. Yeah, you you, st- yeah. you, you want to start off with the bang and then just you know finish with the with the boom. Yeah. Um, either way, with USC's running back health being what it is, it's a tough blow to have Dominic Davis potentially be out for a limited period of time, but. Maybe you get Stephen Carr back this week and alleviate some of that. As for Greg Johnson, you really got to hope he comes back in for the ASU game because as much as I like uh, Max Williams in there, USC's depth at DB in general is, is still pretty thin. So uh, obviously you want you want him to be getting uh, getting right as soon as possible. But really the long-term concern is is with the right guard, Liam Jimmins. Yeah, it hurts when you have Andrew Voorhees out for the season, too. So it's not like you could slot him in there because Liam Jimmins essentially took away Voorhees' role uh, as the sixth man and became the sixth man himself. Uh, so SC needs to find some sort of uh, person who can slot in there, ideally. Maybe it's Justin Dietrich. Maybe? I don't know. What I do mean, it, it's either it's got to be either Jacob Daniel or maybe we do start to see Justin Dietrich practicing at guard more often. Not that we'll uh, we'll get to actually see that fully because we can't see all the practice, but it's an option. Yeah, you never know. Uh, we'll see what comes of it when uh, when it happens. We're gonna move on to the rewatch portion of this episode. Alicia, you do a rewatch over on Patreon every single week. You go into each game super 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 deep, talking about specific plays, what happened, who excelled, who didn't, where the play broke down, where it succeeded, and so much more. Go listen to those over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Here on this little rewatch discussion here on the, the Fallout episode, it's a little bit more big picture about that rewatch. And Alicia, there was an interesting game for sure. We talked about it in the car cast that SC had Oregon. They had them. They came out. They were up by 10. Uh, they were leading late into the first half. They had an opportunity to go up by 10 again before halftime. Uh, and and could not do it. They had three big turnovers in that second quarter, including a back-breaking uh, pick six, followed by a hmm, kind of touchdown drive, and then another back-breaking kickoff return. Uh, in in doing your rewatch, what are your big takeaways? 
My big takeaways are that uh, in the game, I suspected that the loss of Isaiah Pulamau might have been the big moment for the defense. And on rewatch, I confirmed 1000% that was the big moment for the defense. Um, If you wanted to do like a, I wish I now had done this, a pre-IPM versus a post-IPM sort of yards per play in that game. Uh, you would come up with some pretty, pretty drastic things. Not all that have to do with IPM, but certainly when USC has neither of their two starting safeties in the game, uh, because Talano Hafanga is out with an injury replaced by Chase Williams, who is an intriguing talent, but still a little bit of an erratic talent. And you have Isaiah Pulamau, who's your other starting safety, and he comes out of the game and you replace him with CJ Pollard, who... Uh, is a I think is a an effort guy who's gonna you know go out there and and do what he can, but he's he doesn't have the presence that IPM brings to the table, uh, and and you really see that impact the the overall game that USC is able to play. You compound that with a defensive line that can't generate pressure on its own, and blitzes that didn't get home throughout the game, uh, basically outside of the first couple of drives didn't get home. And you kind of end up with the performance that USC puts in on defense where things just sort of snowball and they're not helped by the offense not taking advantage uh, when they give them the opportunities. And they're not, they're not helped by special teams screwing them over before the half. And, you know, things just go terribly wrong. So that was one of my big takeaways was just the defense. Um, as much as I've not been interested in the injury sort of discussion around how that impacts the performance of USC's team. Um, I've certainly been more open to it from the defensive side of the ball. I think that uh, this was this was the the step too far. Playing a good a good offensive team that can make you pay, and having so many key players not in the game, especially getting someone like Chris Rector, Christian Rector comes back in and basically is a non-factor. So you feel like you're missing Drake Jackson. You know you're missing Talano Hafanga. You're really missing Isaiah Plumau because he was the player of the first quarter. He was having a Sua Cravens kind of uh, first quarter uh, to to make that comparison. Love that reference. Yeah. The Sua Cravens, the ultimate, uh, most amazing first quarter player of all time. Yes, absolutely. And uh, and it's a shame. It's a shame that IPM wasn't able to continue and maybe see him what what could have he done in the second quarter and third quarter. Not saying it definitely would have made a difference, but it was definitely a turning point moment in that game. And that drive in general is impacted by the targeting penalty. There's another, uh, I think one of the uh, J2 Fele penalties is on that drive. So it was just sort of, you know, things spiraling out of control. On offense, things spiral out of control too. Um, the turnovers are really the big story of that first half. Uh, at least after USC did its normal routine of not taking full advantage of the early opportunity given to them by Isaiah Pulmau's interception. Um, but I think it's an interesting look back at the at the offense because all four of the turnovers are sort of rooted at the feet of Keaton Slovis while also not being all about Keaton Slovis necessarily. Uh, in, in the rewatch, I went really detailed, but here just... You know, Drake London tips that first ball. Um, a three-man pressure gets to Keaton Slovis because of poor blocking um, at the goal line. And he is hit from behind and has the ball come out while he's trying to make a play like he tried to do, like he did do in the Drake London touchdown early in that game. The pick six is a bad throw for sure. 
But on replay, and, and according to Clay Hilton, at least he confirms, Keaton has his hand tipped by uh, the defender as he comes around the corner because he beats Austin Jackson around the edge there. So it's a it's a throw that Keaton shouldn't make. He shouldn't lock onto his receiver. But it's also the throw itself is is impacted by the defense. And that's unfortunate because it sets up the pick six. And then the the last interception is um, Pac-12 refs going to Pac-12 ref. They should call that pass interference. It's really that simple. They should call the pass interference. Yeah. Keaton Slovis' stat line did, does not do him any favors. Uh, we're going to talk about that more when we get to over-under and talk about his passer rating, which was abysmal in this game. But those, two of those three picks, uh, bad luck. Bad, bad luck uh, picks for him. Uh, but you, you make your own luck, right? And he was able to, you know, work in the pocket and have things go his way. And then he was able to work in the pocket a little bit and have things go the other way. We saw that with the fumble. Uh, and then the, the pick six, even if his hand gets tipped, probably not a pass. He should be firing anyways. Um, but it's interesting to note that, you know, you talk about the defense and how the defense struggled uh, to to pick up the pieces after IPM went down and all that stuff. I I agree. Like the I think the game really shifted when IPM went down on top of the all the turnovers going down. That second quarter was just a disaster for USC in every sense, but that drive right at the end for the Trojans. And even it that was, drive, can we talk for a second about that drive? Well, even that drive was aided by dumb well, Oregon penalty. That drive should end in a field goal. But Oregon has a dumb, stupid, moronic play where a defender just takes out Amon Ross St. Brown for no good reason and draws a flag on a third down that falls incomplete on a downfield pass to Tyler Vons. Like it's it's otherworldly stupidity from an right. Oregon defender there. So yeah. USC looks out there to even get that touchdown. And we can definitely talk about the officiating this game, which was atrocious on well, both sides. Well, refs are going to pack. Like Absol- this should not surprise atrocious. us. Well, see, here's the thing about the refs and why I don't want to focus on the refs too much. You know that these refs in this conference are horrendous. You need to play a game that withstands that. Well, the good thing... Both teams are going to suffer. And both teams absolutely suffered in this game with with the officiating. So you can't sit here and, and spout out conspiracy theories that the refs are trying to give it to Oregon and blah, blah, blah. That's completely... You know, horrendous. Don't, don't ascribe idea. to bad motives what you no. can explain with incompetence. I think yes. that it's a more Occam's razor. Well, it's it's sort of a variant of of Occam's razor, but sure. yeah. But look, I'm just saying that you know you look at what USC's defense did and how they how they change and they weren't nearly as good in the first half. I mean, in the first part of the game as they were after that. And yet, there is a pick six. There is a kickoff return. There's a short field after an interception. I I still, I don't know how, but I think that if the game plays differently on the offensive side of the ball, if they don't have those critical mistakes, if there's not that special teams breakdown, I think the defense is holding Oregon right around to that range where you talk about what this defense does, which is right around the 30-point mark. And that, I mean, not that that's wonderful by any stretch of the imagination, but that's that doesn't make the game losable like the 56 points is. And the 56 points looks really bad for this defense. They were only on the hook for 42. But I think the game plays out a little bit differently. I think they absolutely could have held Oregon 
to about 30. I, like, I don't think it was crazy. When you look at how Oregon played in this game, I don't think Oregon was outplaying SC in every sense of the game over and over and over again to score anything close to 40 to 50 points. The problem is that Oregon was taking advantage of USC's weaknesses and USC wasn't adjusting to it. And sure, the, yeah. the the other problem is Which that it's so, it's so hard to know how this game plays out if just one or two moments go differently that have nothing to do with the defense. Um, if USC scores that touchdown to go up 14 nothing, what does it look like? If USC doesn't give up that special teams touchdown before the half, what does it look like? I think the greatest sin that this defense does is that they visibly give up. In the For the first time quarter, ever. For the first time ever. In the, the third quarter, that first drive that, that uh, Oregon goes down, they come out of halftime, and they methodically drive down the field and score. After that point, USC gives up. The coaching staff gives up. Team give the the players give up the uh, you know everything that the, everything that's projected from that point on they give up and at that point at that point it's what thirty five seventeen so like that's right within the range of what this defense gives up right you know that's thirty five points where you factor in a special team touchdown and an, and an interception return for a touchdown so like I agree with you I think they were on on pace for doing what they normally do which is concede concede but then ultimately fight back the sin of the defense in this game is that the reason that this game looks as ugly as it is is because they give up and and Oregon scores touchdowns they score touchdowns on every single drive right in the second half they didn't have the second half they had against Washington or yeah. against Notre Dame really the Notre Dame game too because Notre Dame scores 10 points in the second half a field goal and a touchdown so it's not like they were blanked uh, in the second half, Washington also scored 10 points in the second half, but uh, no, 11 points, right? Uh, but it's not like they were blanked or anything like that. But in both of those games, the defense took, I, I, th I think, took control of that game to give the offense an opportunity. And in the Notre Dame game, SC scored an offense to give them a real opportunity. And against Washington, they didn't to give them no opportunity, even though they had an opportunity that they squandered. Well, and see, and this is the problem I have with evaluating this game in the sense of like, okay, we can we can focus in on the defense and the obvious scoring stuff and all of the deficiencies because I don't think they played well. The defensive line played poorly again, and that is continues to be a huge problem. All of these things, these things we don't want to whitewash or anything like that. But let's say that you take the pick six off the board and let's say you take the kickoff return off the board and USC holds Oregon to what we expect them to, what we sort of... But let's say 30 to 35 points because they're not having a great night, right? I, I think the difference between 35 points and 56 points in this game is irrelevant because I don't think USC's offense was scoring 30. And you, and I say this, I don't, because we know what USC's offense is. USC's offense, and, and I keep going back to, I, had, I did a podcast with the Quack 12 guys mm -hmm. uh, early uh, before the game, previewing the game. And they were saying that uh, they would have actually been more worried if Matt Fink was the quarterback for this game because the YOLO raid that Matt Fink deployed against Utah would scare them more than the deliberate approach of Keaton Slovis. And I keep thinking about that because, like, USC wasn't able to hit any long throws. USC wasn't able to win those 50-50 balls. USC wasn't able to get, get those big explosive plays in this game that might have flip the script as far as uh you know what it was is keaton slovis oregon's version of khalil tate 
in that sense. Where like they just they just handle them? No, in the sense of if it's Matt Fink, if it's someone that you're unexpected, it's easy to fall susceptible to being beaten by that person because he's doing something so outside the box, so unexpected, right? The YOLO raid was different. It was he was performed outside of the USC offense, right? Yeah. And so what you look at with Keaton Slovis, not literally like Khalil Tate or anything, but where you know what he's going to do and you have a game plan and how you to stop him and you are taking it seriously because of the weapons that USC has at receiver, that's basically what USC does to Khalil Tate every year. Uh, Every year they face Khalil Tate, they're like, oh my God, he could beat us because he did this against Colorado. So let's just completely change everything and focus, hyper-focus on everything. And I, I think that teams are able to do that, plus look back at how every other team defended uh, USC. And we saw Oregon drop eight, and we saw Oregon, you know, really make an adjustment from the first quarter to the second quarter, and really drive by drive defensively to be able to make things harder for USC. But where I will kick back uh, a little bit uh, is that you, you don't think that SC could have scored 30 points. And I don't think that's true. I mean, you look in the first half, uh, if like they should have, they should you have at are least living scored in the fantasy world the where USC's half. talent can do anything. But we know no, what but this on, team hold is. Hold on, hold on. We just said if there's no pick six, if there's no kickoff return, just by saying that we are already living in the fantasy world. No, you but, see what but, I'm saying? but my point is you're, but like in the fantasy world, hypothetical. yeah, we're living in the, in the hypothetical fantasy world, but USC's red zone offense is trash. So, like, why sure. are we going to assume that all of those drives that they don't turn the ball over, all of a sudden no, they're seven points each? They, they wouldn't do. have been. I don't think that they all do. You well, just need one the... or two of them, and all of a sudden you're at 30 points. I mean, barely. Maybe. Maybe. Like, the, I, I'm the not saying I have, the should have won the game or anything like, like that. It, the problem is acting like USC's offense is anything but what they are. This is a good no, Oregon no, defense. One of the, one like, of the top defenses sure, in the country. Yes. And yes. we shouldn't go in there acting like, like, oh, they, they, they would have dropped forty on Oregon. I'm not saying that. I'm not remotely if, saying if that. One th- well, so th- here's my problem: USC miscalculates in this game. I think USC's offense absolutely mis- miscalculates, and this is something that that you brought up in in pregame where they could look at what Washington State did to this Oregon Oregon uh, defense and think. Well, we'll just air raid them to death. We don't have any running backs anyway, so let's just air raid them to death. Except that we've been saying all offseason, we've been saying all season, USC does not run Mike Leach's air raid. And this is another thing that I talked to the the Quack 12 guys. They were doing their film study of USC, and they were like, huh, we were a bit surprised because we didn't see any of the passing concepts that Mike Leach deploys when when you're watching this, this Graham Harrell air raid. And I was like, yeah, they've told us over and over and over again. They're not running Mike Leach's air raid. They're running a variant on the air raid, and that's what they do. So the idea that they came into this game and were were cool with Keaton Slovis throwing the ball 60-plus times is, I think, a huge miscalculation when the offense that you built going into the season, the offense that you installed and you put together and you insisted on 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 going with, was predicated on a certain amount of, of balance. And that balance hasn't been balancy enough for my taste because teams have been able to drop eight and beat your your erratic offensive line with a three-man rush every once in a while and know that they don't have to blitz in order to get pressure because USC can't deal, USC's edge, certainly USC's tackles could not deal with Oregon's edge rushers. 
They were the speed rush was killing them all game long, so they didn't have to send a blitz. And you end up in a situation where you play right into Oregon's hands when you keep passing and passing and passing and passing, which is kind of what you're getting at with the Khalil Tate thing where Oregon knew we just have to, you know, keep keep these guys in front of us and prevent Keaton, uh, Keaton Slovis from from uh, tearing us apart by by exploiting all the gaps in our defense. We just drop eight and don't present very many gaps. And we're going to get occasional pressure. And guess what? They're not going to run the ball. So it doesn't matter. We don't need to put anyone else in the box. And guess what? Oregon didn't put anyone in the box all night. They they went at USC with three and four man pass rushes. And they had, you know, four or five, maybe six guys in the box at any, at any given point. And USC flat out refused to run. Certainly after the first quarter. Because in the for- first quarter, Keenan Christen has seven of his 15 carries in that first quarter. And what what a coincidence. The first quarter is the best quarter for USC offensively. So what I want to know is, why? what is it about Keenan Kristen that denies USC the ability to run their offense as is? Because we hear over and over and over again from coaches and players and everybody, oh, it's just ne- next man up, next man up, next man up, next man up. You know, same over, same over. Well, you're not pre- you're not practicing what you preach if next man up is Keenan Kristen and you suddenly decide, well, we need to totally uh, change our offense. We're going to go Mike Leach air raid, even though we don't actually run Mike Leach air raid concepts. And even though we're not prepared to uh, go all in on that and we haven't been preparing for this the whole season and all this, that and the other thing. So you one dimensionalize your offense for the sake of a true freshman running back who, quite frankly, is a better running back than they're giving him credit for. Because kid kid kid. For a 180 track guy, he's willing to put his shoulder into contact and run between the tackles. And they're not giving him the chance. So that's my big frustration is if you if if you said you're going to run your offense regardless of what what everybody else does, then run your offense regardless of what everybody else does. Do what you do, which is to have a balanced offense where you actually make a defense pay for having nobody in the box for not taking your run game seriously. Take your own run game seriously and challenge them. I See, I have, this is your biggest issue in the game and it's really not mine at all. Because, for, for multiple reasons, like, you, you have Keenan Kristen and I think that, you know, you, you can say the idea of, like, get him 20 carries. Getting him 20 carries is only five more than he had. He had seven carries in the first quarter and five carries in the fourth quarter. He had okay. three carries in the second and third quarter combined. Fair, fair. The, so the they weren't I, giving him carries. Well, the, the point I'm making is that, like, USC's offense has been balanced because they've been able to cycle in the running backs back and back and back and back. Okay, so... You know, drive to drive. You cannot really do that at this point. Because you have Keenan Kristen, and then you have Jonty, and then you have Dominic Davis, who they haven't trusted until late in this game. And so I can understand why they get where they are, which is why for me, I what I want them to do is use the running backs more in the passing game. And you don't necessarily have to run the ball more. Be willing to throw to them. Be willing to throw to Keenan Kristen. Be willing to put Dominic Davis back there and say, just want to run a swing pass. Put Amon Ross St. Brown back there more than they did. Uh, you know, one one of the issues, and, you know, Shotgun Spratley men- mentioned this in, in Tunnel Vision this week, like, in that first quarter, they were doing so many interesting things with formations, how they were moving uh, receivers around, they had motion, uh, we saw jet sweeps with Michael Pittman, we saw Amon Ross St. Brown in the backfield, he gets the start at running back, just like the Colorado game, 
that first quarter, Amon Ra gets a bunch of run. And really, the first half gets a bunch of run at running back. They completely go away from that. Why? Go back to, like, you don't have, if you don't trust Keenan Kristen uh, to carry the workload, then use Amon Ra back there. Put Bayless Jones back there. Do something. It doesn't necessarily have to be those running backs. They don't have to be carries, but I think that they can provide a different option to give Keaton Slovis a check down opportunity that isn't just, okay, on every single play, the running back is going to go out and stand uh, between the hashes uh, and, and the numbers uh, and just stand in the flat waiting for a pass because that's what they do every single play. Like, use the running backs in the run, in the passing game a little bit more, and I think that if they do that, they force Oregon to maybe play a little bit more man, right? Because then you have to account for that running back. You can't just drop into a zone uh, and just have those little swing passes pick up six, seven, eight yards every time. That's how Washington State is able to function and get 406 passing yards against Oregon, right? Like That's how they're able to move because there's balance and there's a threat of that. USC doesn't have that threat. And so I don't think they need to run the, the ball necessarily more. It goes back to the idea of allowing those players an opportunity of some sort. Uh, and it doesn't have to just be Keenan Kristen. It can be Dominic Davis. It can be Amon Ra, Bayless Jones, whoever. It doesn't matter. I Use just, them as receivers. I just want to know. Um, they clearly have the formations to do it. Are, are today's running backs so fragile that they can't be on the field for more than a handful of plays lest they get so tired that they can't function anymore? Your wide receivers can be out there for 80 plays and no problem for them. Your offensive line can be out there for 80 plays and no problem for them. But but God forbid you have Keenan Kristen on the field for more than 20 plays in a game. He's You're playing working his third him too game. hard. He's playing his third game. I'm just saying. I like I I think they're they're shortchanging what they have there because Keenan Kristen is fi- perfectly adequate as a running back in this offense. And I, I agree, agree with you. But like, I agree with you. They should they should find a way to get more creative with with the running backs. But that's like a big, bigger systemic kind of thing that we haven't seen with them. Even when Stephen Carr was the guy, like I understood having a rotation when you had three guys who were legitimately top of the line in in Vi and Carr and Step. So I get why why burn out any one of them when you can use all three. But if you only had one of them available, then you should just have him. You should be running the same number of plays with a running back on the field as you were before, just have it be the one running back and be okay with that. Be fine with that. He'll survive. But I, I don't think it's just to wear him down. I think they're also terrified of him getting hurt. You've already lost Dominic Davis to a concussion protocol, right? Well, if what he, if he doesn't play this week and and you don't get anyone else back? It's really just Kristen and Jaunty back there again. Well, okay, and then you're going to have to use Amon Ra a little bit more. If he gets hurt, then you use Amon Ra. If he gets hurt, then, you know, what are you waiting? Like, I mean... Your season was on the line. If he gets hurt. Like, he could get I, hurt I next just, week. Next week, he get get hurt on the first carry of next week. Right. You're wrap him in bubble wrap for fear of him getting hurt. You know who else could get hurt? Keaton Slovis could get hurt on every, any given play. Yeah. Because guess mm-hmm. what? Drew Richmond can't block a dude who's fast on the outside. Any You're of right. these players yeah. could get hurt. So, like, I, I don't know. I just think I think USC miscalculated. I understand why they did it. I think it was the wrong decision, and I think that they're shortchanging their offense as a result. And I'm just saying that's not the reason that SC turned the ball over four times. No, I'm like I said, I think 
I think the the problem is, is that evaluating this game gets really, really dicey because we can talk about these big picture things. But when it comes down to it, USC had four turnovers. Right. And those four, four turnovers, for lack of a better sort of description, were kind of weirdly fluky. So, like, I don't want to give USC a pass. Well, two, two of the three. I'll, 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 I'll say two of the three I'll cut SC some slack on. The, the pass interference. The other, the other two were poor decisions by Keaton Slovis. Yeah, but if Keaton, again, if Keaton's hand doesn't get hit, does he make that pass? He shouldn't have made the pass in the first well, right, place. Right, but, 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 but if his hand doesn't get tipped, does he make that pass? And then we're talking about what a great pass it was by him. So, like, again, if, just the little if, moments if of the game. Hold on, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, uh, go back and forth on the little minutia of that because I don't, because it doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is, USC had a weird game where they had three turnovers in one quarter and they were vaguely fluky and vaguely weird and inches away from being different and, you know, all of these kinds of things that go, sometimes you just have an off night and it feels weirdly like it was an off night as much as, I'm not going to use that as an excuse for USC because we've talked about all the ways that this team is deficient and they're not able to overcome an off night or they make off nights worse or whatever it is. It was a weirdly off night because you like you think about it. USC, it, wh- what are the chances that the one kickoff return they, they allow is the one that happens right after they score that on that drive where they pull back within four and it's game on again and it just so happens that that's the kickoff return where someone loses their lane and runs into another teammate and opens up a lane for a fast kick returner to to to, to break through it. And that it just so happens that Oregon's going to get the ball back right before the half. So it's particularly demoralizing. Like, what are the chances that it's that kickoff return? You know what? Sometimes you're just unlucky. The problem is that USC doesn't get to fall back on. If this was the one loss this season, you get to fall back on. You know what? It's football. Stuff happens. But USC doesn't get the USC has has carved away their benefit of the doubt so that in another universe where we're talking about this game going like, man, Keaton got real unlucky here. And man, if it was just a little bit of an inch this way, it's it's a different play as far as the pass on the pick six or man, if they just, you know, that that kick return was was just Man, like well, if they can, just you can do that it, like, about all all four of the losses this year. I think that that's the frustrating. But part. you have four of them to talk but about. You, that's but the issue. But there is four of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So USC has no benefit of the doubt with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Feel better. Having still, you, you saved your car cast rant for the Fallout episode. Pretty much, because I, I was re- rewatching the game and I've been talking to like Trent Goodrich, one of our writers uh, at uh, on on Rand Troy, and he was like messaging me going like man your points about keenan Kristen, like i don't understand why they don't just let him go like let him run yeah yeah run your offense trust the kid you trust all the other kids freaking drake london and keaton slovis are true freshmen that you're out there having on every snap of the game but you're not going to trust keenan Kristen. L- trust the kid see what he can do all right we're gonna take a quick break come right back and talk about over under So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, let's get to the over under. We came into it. I had a three game lead. I was 33 and 23. You were 30 and 26. Your first over under was over under. What did I have? Keaton Slovis turnovers. Ah, sweet summer children we are. We took the under. It was over with four. Yeah, that was, um, 
<laughs> but by the way, Oregon Wrong. is as uh, with leading the country in intercepted passes. They got three more of them this game. Yeah, and like two of them were just like the flukiest things. Yeah, it's funny how life works. Yeah. Uh, next one, I said over under zero point five Oregon turnovers. They had three straight games of zero turnovers and only four all season coming in. You said under. I said over. It was one. They had an interception. Justin Herbert's second interception of the season on a pass, a strike to Isaiah Polamau. Yeah, well, one of the big moments in the game early on. And uh, one of those moments that made you think, the upset's on, the upset's on. And then, obviously, no. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Next one, over under 199.5 yards rushing for Oregon. USC had given up 200-plus to several teams, uh, and really 190-plus to five teams. Oregon had gained 200-plus against a bunch of teams, C.J. Verdell had a billion yards against Washington State. You and I took the over, and I think it was a pretty easy over to take. It was way under, way under 139. Uh, At one point in this game, Oregon had negative 11 after the first quarter. They only had 16 in the first half. Yeah, I mean, it was USC's best defensive rushing performance since the BYU game. Another game they lost because of three turnovers, uh, three interceptions on the day. I don't, I don't know, because the funny thing is, it's it's not like USC did a very good job against the run. They did a very good job against CJ Verdell early in that game, and then Oregon decided Travis Dye's our guy, and he got whatever he wanted. So, 12 carries, 75 yards. He had a uh, success rate of 58%, opportunity rate of 58%. Pretty good. Yep. Yeah, but Verdell, 6 carries, 12 yards, success rate of 17%. Uh, hey, it's Clancy Pendergast isolating the the, the, the number one guy, guy he isn't needs it? to stop. <laughs> yeah, hey, it kind of worked. Uh, let's go to the next one. I you or I said over or under one hundred and thirty two point one six for a passer rating for Justin Herbert. That was his passer rating against Washington State the week before. You said over. I said under. It was way over at one hundred and eighty three point eight five. This is a big win for you here, but. I don't. Th- I was not impressed with Justin Herbert in the slightest. The spirit of the passer rating is kind of getting manipulated here because, like, I think that the I will credit Justin Herbert because I think he bounced back very well sure, and he yeah. kind of uh, didn't try to do too much. He took what was Absolutely. there. I think the play calling really worked in his favor, where they were going to take advantage of USC's aggression with those slip screens and with the simple kind of uh, underneath stuff. So. That led to a really high completion percentage for him, and he. I think the best thing he did all night were the two touchdown passes where he beats uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart, one-on-one coverage, puts the ball where his receiver can get it, makes it available, and, and they get the touchdowns there. So I think he did a good job, even though he didn't, like we were talking before we started recording, like at no point has Justin Herbert ever looked like the number one quarterback in the NFL draft to me. No, I, I, st- I really- on Saturday. I- I don't get it at all. Like, I don't understand where those people are coming from, the NFL people. And who knows? Maybe you can clip this and save it in three years when he wins the Super Bowl or something. But I, I don't get it. I think he's a good quarterback. Like, I, I don't have anything wrong with him. I, I I like to watch him play. But, like, it's not like I watch him and think, oh, my God, this guy is a top five pick. Never yeah. have I thought that. Ever. Don't get it. Uh, anyways, two and a half over under, you said two and a half. Drake London catches. 
He had three against Stanford, four against Arizona, seven against Colorado, but none against anybody else. You said under, I said over, it was four. And I'm pretty sure all of those came right at the beginning of the game. It was a very, very quick over, and then he was not to be seen again. Yeah, Oregon did great to take that away. I I think that he has become such a safety blanket for Keaton Slovis acting as if he is a tight end. Well, see, uh, I, I think that if SC had like a uh, like a Travis Kelsey, I think that guy is is Drake London, right? Like, did did you catch the, on the broadcast? I caught it well, during my rewatch when they were talking about him as as a future tight end. Yeah, well, but they said that he said he told them that they that he's going to transition to tight end. That's the first yeah. I'm hearing of it. It's kind of obvious. Like, I I agree he's with the used sentiment it as a as a split out tight end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, like what we thought Josh Follow would be for USC. Drake London is that dude, yeah. Which I'm on board with. Yeah, he's he's been he's been great at it. He's a, he's a nice little safety blanket uh, for Keaton Slovis. Uh, next one over under. This is the last one over under 148.63 of a passer rating for Keaton Slovis. That was his passer rating against Notre Dame. Uh, you said under. I said over. It was way under 101.89. Keaton Slovis's worst game of the season in terms of passer rating. And really, it all comes down to the interceptions. Interceptions and yards per attempt. Uh, yards per attempt were down because Oregon did a good job of preventing the big play. Well, and he threw uh, and, the ball and, 60 times. Yeah, and, and so that helped uh, Keaton Slovis' uh, pass rating from you know going up and kept it down a little bit. But the, the interceptions, you know, really, really tanked that thing too. Yeah, it, it all comes down to the interceptions, which I thought was, which I thought was interesting because... One of the things that I mentioned in my rewatch is that the encouraging thing here is that Keaton Slovis had a four turnover game and it didn't impact my perception of him as a prospect at quarterback. I think that he navigated the pocket really well. I thought he threw the ball really well for the most part. He did have a couple shaky moments, but I thought he was fine outside of those four really unfortunate moments. And, you know, we we both agree at least two of them are... Just, man, that sucks for you. And the other two are, you know, Keaton needs to learn from them and maybe protect himself a little bit more, uh, whether from uh, pressure from behind or when he's scrambling out, he needs to be more aware and he needs to know when not to throw that ball and all that kind of stuff. But like, again, none of the mistakes he's making are the mistakes that he's made before. So I'm not worried about Keaton, even though this was an objectively bad game for him statistically. I'm not worried about him at all. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I, I don't think that this is one of those games that breaks his confidence because Keaton Slovis is one of those guys where he's a straight shooter. Uh, he's pretty even keel. I mean, that's one of the things that he's been so praised about, especially, I mean, you see him in the pocket. He's super even keeled even there. Um, so I think he's going to be able to look at it and be like, oh, I'm, there should have been a PI with with Tyler Vaughn's like that. That interception's not going to bother me. Uh, and then he's going to say, well, I I put the ball there for Drink London to catch. He he didn't do it. Yeah, it could have been a little bit lower, but uh, it's it it wasn't egregious. And I think that he's going to be able to learn from those uh, those those mistakes that he that the crucial ones like the fumble uh, and the pick six. Uh, so we'll see what happens from that going forward. Uh, for the week, both of us were terrible and over under went two and four. I maintain a three game lead at thirty five and twenty seven. You are thirty two and thirty. Let's get into game predictions. Uh, Bill Connolly said that Oregon was going to win this thing by 3.3 points with a score of 31-27, a 42% win probability. 
Vegas said four and a half by the time that we recorded the preview episode on Wednesday. Uh, your prediction was 34-29 Ducks. I said 38-30 Trojans. It was 56-24 Ducks over USC. Uh, nobody was close at all. In the slightest. Nope. The, the Oregon scored numbers, a lot way, more. I mean, I was sort of weirdly close on my USC prediction. Uh, the, the 29? But, but that's a lie because I don't count that last touchdown. So <laughs> That's yeah. fair. Uh, the the um, the Bill Connolly met, uh, numbers, the SP Plus numbers, the post-game uh, adjusted score is only Oregon by 17.2 points. Only 17. You know, Only 17. Great moral victory there for USC. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the pick em. Uh Last week, you went a perfect 0-14 and because you didn't make your picks. Yeah, I fail. I fail. Yeah. I went 7-7, seven and seven, uh, which was pretty mediocre. Uh, to date, I am ninth now at 123-89. and 89. You are 55th at 99-105. and 105. The weekly leader, we have two of them who went 10-4, and four, Timmy Kutnock. And scantily clad peristyle. Great yeah, name, by the way. they're back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the leader happy. to date uh, is in Tantar. 132 and 72 is his record, uh, followed by Warhop Way, who's one game back along with Kinkaro 30, and then two games back is scantily clad peristyle. There's that beautiful, great name. Beautiful moniker. Yep, indeed. Anyways, we'll be right back to get into the mailbag. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, we got a ton of voicemails, a ton of emails, so we've divvied this up to where we're going to do voicemails first, emails second. A lot of these are a little ranty, like we mentioned earlier, so they could have gone to the rant line, and then it would have been super long, because so many of these rants are pretty good that make a lot of interesting points we want to discuss. Uh, so let's start with our good pal, Dave from Orange County. Radio Story Radio, what's up? This is Dave from Orange County. If anybody is calling in today to the rant line, and yes, it is a rant line. And it is really seriously upset, like, you know, just like, oh, this and the three interceptions. And, you know, they had the opportunity to score and they should have been up and the kick return for a touchdown. And if they were really upset at this game, I just, I would like to say, what's your, what, what's your perspective? What's your, what's your ultimatum here? Um, yes, of course, we always want USC to win. I always root for USC to win, but there's sometimes where you just got to go bigger, bigger picture and look at it and go, USC, you did what you needed to do for the betterment of the program today. You took an L for the day, but you took a W for the long haul. We have a new athletic director who's coming in tomorrow, Monday, probably Monday, and he needed to see this. He needed to see this and just go, Clay Helton. You're not right for this world. Baxter, my man, you're just not right for this this world. Uh, Clancy Pendergast, you have gone too long uh, with the under everything, underperforming, under recruiting, under everything. You walk around like your shit doesn't stink, and my man, it does. So as a USC fan, we can't watch this game and be upset. We can't watch this game and be like, oh, all up in a huff. You know, yeah, I may have said some, you know, dropped some F-bombs and during this game and, you know, you need to do this and all that. But it got, it got to that cooling period that happened, you know, right before halftime. I was like, oh, we're going to lose this game. We're going to lose this game big. And that's probably a good thing. So to that, I say to all USC fans, to all the rap bots, 
congratulations, Clay Helton, adieu, Avidarzang. Uh, parting is such such sweet sorrow. Best best of luck to you on the next endeavor. But let's do this thing. Let's change it all up and let's get crazy with it. Urban Meyer, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price Is Right. Let's do this thing USC style. Fight on, fight out. Thanks for the call, Dave. Uh, wonderful as always. Um, not gonna lie, I had a similar perspective while watching the game. I- I've said that I would rather watch USC lose unequivocally than to lose the way that they have in other games where they sort of fight and they sort of give you reason to think, well, maybe, th- maybe it's gonna be okay and all that kind of stuff. Like the clarity of this whole thing gave me, really helped my zenness that I've been going for. Uh, this week. So yeah, it's um, clarity. I'm happy for some clarity. Uh, I don't know if the Urban Meyer is the next uh, next thing on the board, though. Not gonna lie. But uh, certainly something different, at least. Yeah. And I've always thought that blowout wins, I mean, sorry, blowout losses are so much easier to get over than heartbreakers. Because you get over it by the time, like you go through the stages of grief by yeah. the end of the game. Mind you, this was one of those blowout wins that I think is a little bit different because you could sit here and be like, but it, it shouldn't have been a blowout. Like, SC had him. What happened? You you could sit here and, and make all those arguments like we've talked about. So, uh, yeah, it was a tough one. Um, but absolutely, there's 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 benefits in terms of the clarity. Uh, you, you now know 100% what needs to happen. We all know. I mean, we've all been we've all been knowing, but but now there's... There, there's there's no I, there's I no chance you, of usc talking themselves into a mistake no no and like i told you alicia last week they were either going to put everything together and go win the rose bowl or clay Hunt was gonna get fired and so there was no need to worry about it now you've seen it you've seen it well as i said the likelihood of usc putting it all together and winning the pac-12 is still very very lowered after this oregon game but Let's not act like USC couldn't back into the Pac-12 title game still. Like I, I, I actually think this is a case of optimistic Alicia. No, it's a very pessimistic Alicia, Michael. Wrong drop. Can you <laughs> imagine the, ap- the apoplectic <laughs> fit that I would have if USC got into the Pac-12 title game? Oh, dear. Oh, Lord. What, what is wrong with you? Who wired who you? Who, who hurt me? <laughs> this is a question. Let's go to Giovanni. Hey, Michael and Alicia. This is Giovanni from Whittier. First time caller. So I have just one question for you guys. Did I just watch a snuff film today? Because, wow, this was an abomination unlike anything I've seen this year. I didn't think that it would come to be like this in any game. I thought we had a puncher's chance. Uh, I think we... Pretty much did in that first quarter. Everything turned out really well, even though we probably should have been up 21-7 uh, instead of, you know, that whole swing that happened. And uh, just that ultimate gut punch of the, you know, the kickoff or, or the kickoff return Oregon right at the end of the second quarter. That was just, I just had a feeling in my gut that it was going to happen. And with this team, you just kind of expect the unexpected, you know, the terrible things that always happen. Uh, so yeah, I just uh, just called for free therapy, and you know, I guess it's, an, it's a pretty apt thing that you know this game happened on the other Los Muertos, and uh, Clay Helton is pretty much a dead man walking now. So, I guess looking forward to the new AD 
uh, signing on Monday, I guess I heard. And uh, hopefully the AD takes this into account, and hopefully we can get a good coach. Hoping, uh, you know, Urban uh, decides to hopefully not stay retired. Um, anyway, have a good night and fight on. Thanks for the call, Giovanni. I feel like everyone's really in the same place here. Like, Giovanni and Dave were really, really in line. Down to the, uh, we're probably going to get the new AD hired by Monday, <laughs> we say, as we're recording this episode on Monday yeah. night, and no AD has been hired. Uh, yeah. but, but I do like the Dia de los Muertos uh, dead man walking reference. Um, I un- like. I think that, though, we have to sort of put it out there that at this stage, the likelihood of USC moving on midseason, I think it's actually pretty low. Um, there would be a wonderful symmetry about like a tarmacking after the ASU game, but even then, I think that this is a this is a uh, postseason situation. So. I can't imagine an AD coming in here and then... So let's just say that Bone gets announced Tuesday, which is the day that this podcast drops, that he fires a guy five days later. Yeah, like, I, I just don't see it happening. Like, I think he's going to fire a guy 18 days later or whatever it is, right? Uh, at, you know, when the, when the regular season ends and if... As soon as USC is not going to the Pac-12 championship game or whatnot, like... That then maybe there's a little bit of a of an ability to do that, but I don't see it now. I, I yeah, I I think it's going to be after the UCLA game or after the Pac-12 championship game. One of the one one of them, whichever whichever one is the last one before the bowl game. Uh, let's go to a call we got from um, Ray. Hey, this is Trojan Ray from Florida. Reggie Bush on the Fox halftime show even said, "Why do the coaches?" put the players in a position to fail. I want to ask you this question. First, close your eyes. Block out all the sound so that you absolutely have a total vacuum. And then ask yourself this question. Can Clay Helton win a national championship with USC? I didn't think so. Fight on. All right, Alicia, open your eyes. Yeah. It's a, it's a question I've been asking myself for uh, legitimately close to our eyes there, by the way. Um, it's a question I've been asking myself. And yeah, the answer has come back. No, I think there was a brief moment after the Rose Bowl where I thought, you know what? Maybe, maybe he's learning on the job. Maybe he's got this. And uh, obviously that didn't, that didn't come to fruition. And, and it was at that point that I, that I looked at it and certainly it was confirmed in the Ohio State game. I thought that in the Cotton Bowl, after a very difficult 2017 season where they still achieved a lot, um, I thought maybe this is the the game where he proves that he can go toe-to-toe with someone like Urban Meyer, and we'll see. But obviously that didn't come to fruition either. So it's been pretty clear for a while now that uh, USC won't be winning a national title with Clay Helton. And as soon as anyone, like as soon as you come to that conclusion, there is no point anymore, for sure. Yeah, it's it's tough because I think there's only a f- couple of coaches in college football capable of winning a national title, uh, as it stands right now. Um, there's coaches who have the potential to eventually get there, uh, surely, and um, you want to at least have one of those coaches that has the potential. And I never thought that that Clay Helton was someone who could do it. I think he showed the ability to potentially be one of those potential guys after that Rose Bowl for sure. 
uh, you know, <laughs> I remember the 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 car cast after the Alabama game, and we sat there thinking, "What the hell did did they do?" Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I remember uh, that distinctly. Like that moment was just like, a, "Oh gosh, we knew USC had made a mistake, but we were open. We 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 kept our minds open to the idea that this could work." And right. oh, buddy, and, and then he proved us wrong. Yeah, uh, he and the team proved us wrong at the end of that season. Uh, and then they won a Pac-12 title last year, even though it was frustrating. And then the bottom fell out the last year and a half. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's no way you can answer that question and say yes. No way. That's just unequivocal. Uh, let's go to a call from Ron. This is Ron from Northern Virginia, and uh, I've been a season ticket holder, my friends and I, for about 15 years. Fly out for three to four games, uh, and for the first time in 15 years. I left early, didn't go, stay till the end. I just need a sign that USC cares about football as much as the fans do. It feels like they've abandoned the program and we care, but the university doesn't. It doesn't have to be Urban Meyer, but there has to be a sign that they care about taking USC football back to where it used to be. Fight on. Thanks for the call, Ron. This nails it for me because this hire is so important. Uh, I agree. It doesn't have to be Urban Meyer to win the hire. I think you need to show intent that you know what you're doing. Uh, go out and hire a coach that is demanded somewhere else. Clay Helton was never that guy. Uh, I, I always wonder, like, if Clay Helton didn't get the job at USC, where was he going to go? Like Memphis? Fresno State? Like, where was he going to go? I, I don't know where he was going to like, there where was the demand? There, there wasn't any demand. So if SC goes out and hires Matt Rule, yes, they're proving that they know what they're doing, right? If SC goes out there and hires Matt Campbell, again, they're, they know what they're doing. They're showing it's at least a sign of knowing what you're doing. There's some competency in there because those are coaches that have demand. Those guys aren't Urban Meyer, but they're still someone who people are projecting to be the next Urban Meyer, right? Which is which is half the battle is is getting to that point, right? So that's that's what you want to see. You want to see some, some competence there. And se- secondly, uh, is it just me? Every time Ron calls, I just hear Bruce Feldman's voice. Oh, <laughs> uh, now I do. I it's the know. same voice. It's, it's a very similar it's a great voice. voice. Yeah, it's a great uh, voice. No, I I I agree with with all of that sentiment, and I, I think the biggest thing that worries me is, and we've said this before. As people who are sort of in this deep with the uh, with the website and the podcast and all that kind of stuff, the worst part is seeing people turn off. And I said earlier in the season, I can't blame you if you're not getting joy out of USC and you turn off. But USC's administration, USC, the people in charge, everyone like that needs to consider the ramifications of allowing people to continue to turn off. Because this is something that I said uh, after the um, the NHL, uh, you know, the 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 um, shutout, uh, the NBA shutout, all of all of the shutouts that have happened. The sad truth is that people start to realize that they don't need these sporting events in their lives. That when the sporting event, when their life revolves around it, it matters. It's the biggest thing in the world. But if you take it away from them people will eventually realize that they don't actually need it, that life goes on, they can find other things to do. 
and the thing that USC uh, needs Alicia, to... I, I'm going to have to push back. There is nothing else than college football on Saturdays. Come on. Like <laughs> this is true, but USC fans will... If, if USC fans get to the point of shutting off and not going to a tailgate, for instance, you can you can get to the point where, well, I don't need to devote my entire Saturday to watching USC football. I can be more casual about it. And it's not the end of the world. Like, USC needs to worry about that eventuality. And they need to take this hire very seriously. And they can't fall back on the same kind of things that they've done before. Because, like you said... A statement of intent is necessary, even if it you can hire Urban Meyer and he can strike out, but at least you've made a, a statement of intent. Yeah, in, intent is in, is huge here. Absolutely. Uh, let's go to a call we got from Top Trojan Fan. What's going on, Marina Troy? It's Top Trojan Fan calling from Virginia. It's just halftime right now, and uh, I was just watching the halftime show here on Fox, and I noticed something kind of funny. Um, Reggie Bush just said, do you know how many recruits they're going to get after a performance like this? Zero. And as soon as he did, he turned and looked right at Urban Meyer. Now, that was something small. That was something small, but that that was very, very telling to me. You could actually see him, like, pause and look at him like, hey, are you going to come in? Are you going to rescue this recruiting class? Are you the savior? You know we talked about this after the show. You know we went out and had beers last night. And we know that you're going. We see that big Cincinnati ring you're wearing. We see your red tie. We know you're doing it. Come on. Can't you you just tell everybody? The fans are waiting. I'm one of those fans. I know you guys are one of those fans. I know a lot of people don't agree with Urban Meyer going. I mean, honestly, he's the only one who's going to save this team, save this recruiting class, put us back on schedule. And I only think he's going to be there for about two or three years. So, I mean, is that really too much to ask? Is it really too much to sacrifice for the people who don't want him there? to get the program back to where it needs to be, national relevance, playoff consideration? I don't think so. I think I think he's the right person. I think he's the right coach, and I think we need him. Anyways, that's just a little observation. I don't even want to talk about the first half of the game because it was terrible and full of mistakes and made me sad. But hopefully we got, you know, we're only down 11 points. We get the, the second half coming up, so we'll see how it goes. Fight on and fight out. We're only down 11 points. Get the, the second half coming up, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> oh, tough Trojan fan. Oh dear. Picked a good time to call. That that was a happier top Trojan fan. <laughs> a more blissful top Trojan fan. A hopeful top Trojan fan. Yeah, there there yeah. were twenty one more points uh, to that deficit uh, that would be added in the yeah. second half. Yeah, just uh, a, a so moment I- in time. I know. Uh, to, to talk about the idea of, of Urban Meyer being the, the guy to salvage the recruiting class, um, you know, we got asked this in the Red Troy Slack, like, you know, could someone like Matt Rule salvage the recruiting class? And I don't think the recruiting class is salvageable, period. Um, could someone, like, I think if anyone could could make some noise, it's someone like, like Urban Meyer who could come in and, you know, makes the Justin Flows of the world think about it, right? But it's not like there's anyone out there, not even Pete Carroll, not Urban Meyer, not Nick Saban. Nobody's coming to USC and going to somehow turn this 60-whatever ranked class USC has and turn it into a top five class. Like, that, that's not happening. So, so the, the, words, the word salvage is, has to be extremely graded on a curve here. Because well, what, what constitutes 
it being salvaged getting here's justin flow like that is that it here's where i'll push back on the idea that salvaged has to mean top five i think salvage no, can is, mean what is, what, top what, 25 top 25 would be salvaged i think if you can go by the end of this recruiting class and get back up into the top 25 you have salvaged the class because then it's not a class that's going to bury you uh for years down the line and right. I, I don't know if matt rule is that guy but Urban Meyer certainly would get the attention of of recruits. The problem the problem is is that so many recruits are already committed and so many recruits are ready to sign in December that USC is going to have a real hard time getting a staff together quickly enough to then make a real push with those recruits. But there are some some high profile guys out there who are still considering USC. And if USC finishes strong and gets, you know, four or five of them, a handful of the tier of, of athlete that USC should be looking at and then rounds out the class, which with hoping to hit some diamonds in the rough, I think you can salvage the class. But the the problem is, is that you can't have a, a, a ho-hum hire. It needs to be a home run enthusiasm building hire. And Urban Meyer is definitely the big one. Um, I don't, I think that we can objectively say that Matt Rule is the rising star, but I don't know that Matt Rule is the, name recognition guy that, uh, well, that you'd I mean, be able to bring we, we in. We were talking about it in the Slack, and we mentioned Matt Rule, and you know, a couple of people were like, who's Matt Rule, right? Because, like, yeah, Matt Rule's not the, the name recognition guy. I, I think that he's going to be that person, absolutely. I, I think in the next few years, people are going to be like, Matt Rule is like one of the best coaches in America. Uh, you look at what he did, did at Temple, took a, a team that was terrible and took him to 10 wins. What he's done at Baylor has been just remarkable. I think to me, I think that's the direction you need to go if you're hiring a head coach. Well, and that's the thing is Matt Rule can salvage the class in a Matt Rule-y kind of way. Sure. Where he convinces a, a couple of of the top tier guys to, to come in. And then he does sort of, I mean, all of the jobs he's had before, it's been a less is more, uh, a do more with less uh, routine. So he, you he's can, come in when when those programs have been at their lowest. Yes, so we know that he can develop that talent or get the most out of that. So you can maybe not salvage this class, but survive it is another way to frame it. Uh, but if if you're looking at like recruiting rankings, yeah, I do think you need a, an Urban Meyer type uh, type hit. And uh, I, the thing while we're on the topic of Urban Meyer, I worry now that the Urban Meyer rumors are swirling so much. That what happens if you don't get Urban Meyer? Like every op, every option pales in comparison to Urban Meyer. You, we, you and I could make the case that Matt Rule is a better hire than Urban Meyer for right now, but the benefit of the doubt that Urban Meyer will get over everybody else in terms of the patience that he'll be allowed, everyone else will be compared to. Well, he's not, not, not Urban Meyer. So like the the banking. That that is going on on Urban Meyer being the guy and and top Trojan fan references you know the reading the tea leaves in the halftime show and all that kind of stuff like we can do all that kind of stuff but I'm gonna keep saying this like the the parts of the equation that involve Urban Meyer coming there are a lot of moving parts one he has to be interested if he is interested two USC needs to be interested if he is interested and USC is interested three USC needs to be willing to pay him if USC is willing to pay him. They also need to be willing to pay his staff and also need to be paying, willing to pay his support staff and also need to be willing 
to do all sorts of other things that convince him that it's worth coming out of his faux retirement where he's got a sweet gig, low stress uh, uh, situation. He also with needs the, with a the clean bill of health here. Let's, let's just be honest. Yeah. So it, there's a lot of things that have to go first in order for that to happen. And I, I wouldn't, if I'm a USC fan, I mean, right now, just personally, what I'm doing right now is I fully expect USC to, to disappoint me. Fully expect USC to disappoint me on this front. What's a disappointing name for you? Um, Is Kyle Whittingham disappointing? Slightly. See, here's I the think, thing. I think Kyle Whittingham, Kyle... Jack Del Rio are acceptable disappointments in that I think USC's settling, but you know what? I can live with those guys because I don't think they're absolute train wrecks. But they're not where you they're they're not where we would envision USC going. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. if it was up to you and me, they'd be hiring someone like, you know, the 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 Matt Rules, the Matt Campbells, the Urban Myers, the 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 big names, right? Yeah. Even though yeah. Jack Del Rio's probably a bigger name than Matt Rule, but Matt Rule's the guy, I'm just telling you. Yeah. Uh let's go to Gare Bear. This is Gare Bear in LA. What's up, Michael and Alicia? I feel like I'm watching the movie Inception. Everything's a dream, and we go down deep into another level of, of the dream, and then we have to go to another level of the dream, and now we're in the fourth level of the dream. And USC has dominated this whole game against Oregon, except for stupid penalties. I call them Pac-12 referee ten- penalties and um, turnovers. We've dominated this whole game. They're making their quarterback look like a Heisman. Winner. He's done nothing. I hope we could go down to the end of the final dream phase and recover and suddenly go back to each stage and be the real team that we are when we awake. Have a great day, guys. Love love your show. Thank you for uh, entertaining us. And thanks for giving us hope. Thanks, Gare Bear, for the call. Uh, I hope, I don't know if the last thing I said was would give anybody hope giving up on this hire before they've even made it uh i'm a little a little pessimistic over here um but yeah well, I this think is that, why you got a one-star review remember i did just get a one-star review so you know i just got i gotta lean into the sarcasm and negativity is really what i what i took from that um no the 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 thing about that game as we've talked about before the most frustrating thing about it is how much it felt like USC in another world with another coach, with another preparation, with another sort of whatever, the same roster could have went toe-to-toe with with this Oregon team easily. Cause this Oregon team is who we thought they were. They're 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 fine. They're they're good. They're not great. They're not unbeatable. And USC with that roster absolutely should have been able to go up and, and beat them if they were uh if they had um you know, better talent development, if they had better game plans, better schemes, better motivation, whatever it is, whatever it is that puts those teams over the top, better discipline, all of those things that, that you know, USC would have been in that game easily. And that's what makes it so frustrating. Because you look at the Pac-12 and there's no reason the Pac-12 couldn't be USC in the 11 Dwarves the way that it was USC in the 9 Dwarves in the Pete Carroll era. Yeah, you know, we, we have this drop. They are who we thought they were. But I'm mad at myself because I should cut the other part. Because I think the other part's the more important part. The, and we let them off the hook. I think that is the more important part for USC this week in talking about the Oregon game. Because 
it's I'm not saying that they should have won the game or anything like that, and I, that they would have or whatever. But if nothing else, they were going to be in this game super competitively, uh, if not for the turnovers. Uh, if not for the kickoff, even if not for the kickoff, like you and I talked about this before we started it's recording a new game, if it's if it's twenty one seventeen, they go in the second half. You know, it feels a lot like the Notre Dame game in which they bounce back. But then they would have been going to the 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 halftime break, feeling a little bit like they got their mojo back with that scoring drive, even if it was helped out by Oregon penalties. Like they they would. They would feel a little bit better about themselves, but the, but the and kickoff even if, completely even changes. Even if the defense everything. gives up that score to start the second half, the offense doesn't feel like it's in such a massive hole. Right. Well, even, you and I talked about it where even if the kickoff was the start of the second half instead of the end of the first half, and you know, it would have worked out the same way, right? Yeah. But even then, it wouldn't have felt as, as disparaging. And I know that part of the reason is because Oregon was able to bookend the half with scores that way. But but still, it was just it was brutal. It sucked the life out of the game, uh, and then it gets to the point where when you lose fifty six to twenty four, it's a, it sounds a little ridiculous to sit there and be like, yeah, but but you know you know but but the that's how the game <laughs> just collapsed in an instant. Yep, uh, and then it just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, let's go to Michael in Idaho. Hey guys, it's Michael in Idaho. I think I've calmed down after last night's fiasco. Um, it seems to me we've pretty much hit rock bottom at this point, so I'm going to ask the two big questions. One, dare we root for those gutty little Bruins against Utah next week? Can't do it. Sorry, can't do it. Which raises the bigger, bigger picture question then, do we root for Oregon, hoping that they have an outside chance of getting in on the Final Four uh, for the you know BCS championship, whatever you want to call this mess, uh, I could do that better than I can root for the Bruins. Uh, I heard a rumor that um, Mike Bone from Cincinnati is the lead guy to get the uh, athletic director position and that he has promised to go all out to get Urban Meyer for coach. Right on, bro. Let's go for it. Fight on. At least make us relevant again one way or another. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks for the call, Michael. Um yeah, I I do think this is this is a form of of rock bottom. Um the thing is that I have no interest in Oregon getting into the playoff to be to be quite honest. I think Oregon will get their face smashed in by anyone they face in the in the playoffs, so I think that would be worse for the perception of the Pac-12 than than not than missing out this year. Uh that's just my opinion, but that's how I see it playing out. As for UCLA, um, Michael, should should I share the the text message that I sent Jake from the What's Bruin show during the game on Saturday? I don't know. I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think you want to. Okay. Well, the the fact of the matter is, I'm now rooting for chaos in the Pac-12, and that may mean UCLA winning the South because that is the stupidest outcome of all the outcomes, and thus. It sounds the funniest. So will I be rooting for UCLA to beat Utah? I don't know if I'll be rooting for them. Will I laugh my butt off if they actually do beat Utah? Hell yes. Hell yes, I will. Uh, can I blame Alicia Deratola for this? Yeah, I mean, everything's my fault anyways. So I know, I mean, your performance has got us a one-star review. So This is true. 
I'm taking so, like, the podcast. We're gonna need like several five star reviews to to balance it out in the algorithm because you you got us that one star. Yeah. Well, you know. It'd be great if people listening to this were like, you know what, we should rally the troops and give a bunch of five yeah, stars. Yeah, come on, Robots, rally the troops. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Take a quick break. Come back and read emails. You've got mail. All right, Elise, let's start with David in San Diego. Hey, guys. Writing this as I walk back to the car from the game before the car cast tonight. Just utterly embarrassing and pathetic performance. My anger for this team has shifted to just plain disappointment. It's not even worth getting into the specific failures for this game. This team is so undisciplined and has been for so long. This team needs new leadership and a new mindset. I hope the entire coaching staff, administration, and players look into that moment in the fourth quarter where they saw the rest of us fans file out and heard the Oregon fans chanting, Let's go Ducks while down 49-17 in the Coliseum. We, USC fans, deserve a better football team, and I hope that this rock bottom finally gets something changed. David. Yeah, another rock bottom message. Uh, another rock bottom uh, sentiment. and There's really nothing else to say. And, and this is the, the, the thing is, when you do that at home, it's extra, extra uh, difficult. And the Coliseum is it's a beautiful new renovation. And for a top 10 matchup on a Saturday night in prime time, five o'clock, the ideal kickoff time, uh, that stadium was still pretty darn empty. So USC fans are voting with their feet. Well, it, it got got much emptier. Well, yes, I, I th- I thought but the it crowd started went- out fairly empty. Yeah, I thought the crowd filled in pretty nicely. It was what sixty three thousand um, out of seventy seven or whatever it is now. Um, again, I mean they should be selling out there. these games. They should be selling out these games. But I thought I thought it filled, and saying it filled in nicely is again terrible, given the way that you know what USC should be drawing. Absolutely. Um, but compared to other games, I thought that it looked like there was a somewhat better crowd. Uh but. You know, that didn't last long because USC uh, shot themselves in the foot and uh, put themselves in a huge hole. Let's go to an email from John in Oakland. Hello, Alicia and Michael. Well, Clay Helton clearly failed his all-important audition in front of Mike Bone, who had to either be watching the game live at the Coliseum, his home in Ohio, or his hotel room in L.A. as he prepares to get introduced this week as the next USC athletic director. USC is now more likely than not going to be 7-5, and five, as they have at least one more loss ahead. I think Helton could have survived at 8-4, and four, uh, and a decent showing against Oregon as Bone watched, but they looked bad and outclassed in this home stadium loss. Bone could not be impressed with this game and the coaching performance on national TV. So on a scale of 0-10, zero to 10, 0 being no chance, 10 being 100% certainty, score the following easy questions. Number 1. Let's, go, let's take this one by one. Number one, A.D. Bone is able to convince President Fultz to hire Urban Meyer at the end of this season. Five. Four or five, yeah. Uh, Number two, A.D. Bone is unable to get Meyer and rehires Luke Fickle as USC's next head coach. Seven. I'd say back at five. I don't know that Fickle would be the automatic choice there. I think it's the automatic. It's the easy one to, to, to... prognosticate because of the connection there, but I don't think it's simply automatic. Uh, so I'd go back to five. 
number three, AD Mike Bone takes pity on Helton due to the incredible number of injuries, new coaches, and gives him one more year. Uh, I'd say one, 10%. I'll give it a two because I think there's a chance that UCLA beats Utah because everything is stupid in the Pac-12. And if you, I, you, UCLA beats Utah, back. then there's a chance that USC wins the South, at which point, you know, you open that can of worms again. Take it back. Zero percent. Zero percent. Number four, uh, A.D. Bone hires Chris Peterson after he's fired by Washington. Zero. Uh, that's, that's a that's a zero percent for me, too. Zero uh, on the firing by Washington and then USC hiring him <laughs> after that firing. Like that just I don't. Yeah, see it's that the combination of those yeah. things that definitely makes it a zero. Yeah. Each one might be a one percent. Yeah. But the, the combination's a zero. Uh, and the last one, JT Daniels transfers after being unable to win back the starting job in the spring. Uh, he's not going to participate in the spring. So let's just say that this is the fall. I I, I say that's like 80 percent. Um, okay, so my argument again, though, is that he might have incentive to stick around for the year, graduate, right. and then grad transfer. So, so you're right. Especially I'm saying eighty percent in terms of like the general idea of transferring. Right. Tra- I think I think if JT Daniels doesn't win the starting job back at some point, he will definitely transfer. But I don't think it's a sure thing that he would do so in 2020. I think 2021 is the more likely transfer moment for him uh depending on how long it takes him to get back from that from the knee and yeah when when can he graduate is, is the yeah. big question so uh, we're operating if, if under the schedule. assumption that he's on track to graduate in in three years so yeah i think that's going to play a big role in it uh john continues his email and says with respect to the last question do you think that jt would be better served entering the transfer portal sooner rather than later say at the end of this season and finding a school with a quarterback opening. No, I I, th- I think he's I think he's gonna get healthy first. Um, yeah. And the other thing is like, I as as good as Keen Slovis has been, I I think that you you still got JT still performed pretty well in that first quarter against Fresno State. We didn't see what JT could do in this offense. And and the other thing is too, we don't know if this offense is the this is the offense. So. If there's a new head right. coach, a new offensive coordinator, then if you're JT, you've got to give you got to bet on yourself. He has a tattoo on his leg of the USC logo. So like he's got to bet on himself to win the job, to win over a new coach. That's that's the certainty for me. He's going to bet on himself to do that. And then only once that is all very very clear that that hasn't happened, will he then go ahead and and move on. Uh, let's get to an email we got from Dan I thought an experiment for USC fans who want to hire Urban Meyer. Say you are the athletic director and you decide to fire Clay Helton and offer the job to Urban Meyer with all his baggage. Urban Meyer declines the offer. Now you need a second choice. Do you consider Art Bryles? He coached Baylor from a laughingstock to multiple 10-plus win seasons and a Heisman Trophy. Of course, he also has baggage. If you will consider Urban Meyer but not Art Bryles, what differentiates the two coaches? My opinion is to forget Urban Meyer's and Art Bryles and then throw money at Bob Stutes to take the job. Dan. I promise, Elisa, this is not a burner email for me. Well, this is funny because I was literally just talking about my lack of confidence in our DM group with THT. I was talking about my lack of confidence in USC uh, to, to not disappoint me. And that the stupidest thing for them to do would be to hire someone like Art Bryles just to piss everybody off. 
Um, so that was timely. Um, fact of the matter is, though, I don't think Urban Meyer and Art Bryles are even close to the same category of baggage. Not even close. Urban Meyer um, made some mistakes about handling a uh, domestic violence dispute on his coaching staff. He should have been a bigger man and should have just gotten rid of the the wide receiver, Zach Smith, earlier and all that. But it was a complex situation. And I don't think I, I think that Urban Meyer made the wrong decisions, but they they, they weren't um, they don't rise to the level of Art Bryles covering up rape on multiple occasions at Baylor by yeah. Baylor students against Baylor students like it, it doesn't rise to the same same situation. USC shouldn't hire Urban Meyer because the optics are terrible considering USC needs to improve their optics because of everything that's gone wrong and the the Dr. Tyndall stuff and everything, all the other uh, issues that have happened on campus. USC needs to prove that they value these things and, and new, needs to prove that they, they, they value their image um, in a positive way. And especially in that they respect women and all those kind of things. And hiring Urban Meyer doesn't necessarily do that because of optics. You can argue about those optics. You can't argue about Art Bryles' optics. Like, hiring Art Bryles is, like, criminally negligent. That's not optics. That's, like, actual negligence to go out and hire Art Bryles. Yeah. I'm not saying that USC Urban Meyer's uncomfortable. Yeah. Art Bryles is, like, you know, criminal. Yeah. Let's yeah. let's get real here. Yeah, like like hiring him would be criminal, is what I'm saying. Absolutely, I think there's a clear delineation, differentiation between Urban Meyer and Art Bryles. That's I'm not I'm not judging you know the hireability of Urban Meyer when it comes to how highly USC is going to uh, value its image and uh, all the righteousness and all that kind of stuff. But I think there is a huge gap between those two names. And by the way, the reason I mentioned that righteousness is because Carol Folt is the president because she needs to fix up USC's problem. If you are serious about fixing up that problem and eliminating the scandals, you don't go out and hire a coach that's that's tied to these scandals. Like I've said a million times over on the podcast, it has less to do with Urban Meyer, more to do with USC. I'm not saying that Urban Meyer is nearly on the on the 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 same level as Art Bryles in the slightest. It's that USC cannot be trusted. That's clearly what it is. Another school can absolutely take Urban Meyer if they've had the ability to not, you know, fall to these to these issues. It's it's really about, you know, USC can't be trusted to not let this turn into a circus because that's what happens to USC every time. The New England Patriots can take chances on troublesome players because they are such a well-run organization with such a stable foundation at every level that they can take those chances and they don't really disrupt their organization. But if the uh, you know name if the New York Jets take a chance on a troubled uh, player, that is such a dump or the Cleveland Browns or the Miami Dolphins like dumpster fire organizations taking chances on players that usually ends badly. See the Oakland Raiders. Yeah, it comes back to leadership and you know uh, having Robert Kraft is sure handy. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. It's good. An email from Dave in Utah. You read it. <laughs> Dave in Utah says, so this was the test to see what we are made of. We are that team that just barely got by Colorado. Pushing Notre Dame was a fluke and so was the Utah game. We are that team that lost to BYU. 
We are so disjointed as a team. Injuries are tough, but every team has injuries. The refs suck, but usually they suck both ways. The Coliseum turf is awful, but it's awful for both teams. We lack discipline. We lack coaches who develop top talent to be better. We come out, usually, and seem to have an offense that clicks. Then we forget what works and don't make adjustments to what isn't working. I assume it's the coaches who tell the quarterbacks not to throw to the running backs coming out of the backfield. Keenan Kristen and Stephen Carr could tear up the field a la Reggie Bush if they could just get the ball in the open field. Everything points back to coaching. The player's job is to execute the coach's game plan. When it was announced that Cliff Kingsbury was coming, it was like all of our offensive problems were resolved. He was going to bring the unbeatable air raid offense. Then when he left, it was like, oh, we need a new air raid offensive coordinator. Can you tell me when an air raid offense last won a national championship? I'm not a fan. I'm all for moving on from Clay Helton. He will get better after being fired. It forces you to look at your mistakes and learn from them. I don't think this will happen until the end of the UCLA loss, though. But for the sake of recruiting, we need an Urban Meyer to be announced sooner than later. Looking forward to listening to Alicia's carcast. Oh, and you too, Michael. Dave the Greater, stuck in Uteland. Thanks, thanks for the email, Dave. I, I want to mention the the idea about the the air raid and when they have won a national title. I mean, they haven't. I, I guess you could look back way, 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 way back uh, if you want to look back at like 1984 BYU or something like that. But no, they haven't. They haven't won a national title. But uh, I think that it's you. You're seeing pieces of it, right? Like Alabama's passing game is way more air raidy than anything they've ever done. You've seen that these concepts have gone pretty much everywhere. Uh, Clemson runs similar concepts. They don't run an air raid offense, but they run a spread offense that has similar passing concepts to what the air raid wants to do in certain instances. Not everything, certain, certain little pieces, right? And you look at Oklahoma. Oklahoma is doing, they, they, they took the Mike Leach air raid and then they've, added more run run game they've added a better offensive line they've they've changed how the offensive line works in that system and they've made it the best possible offense for a college football team that's still the air raid and it's like it's still in that family and so yeah i i don't think oklahoma's won a national title with the air raid yet but they've gotten pretty close they've gotten pretty darn close right like First of all, Mike Leach was the offensive coordinator in in 2000 for the Oklahoma national title, right? So, or, or was he already at Texas Tech? Now, now I got to look this up. So yeah, I I got no clue, but I think your point about Oklahoma, the fact that Oklahoma hasn't won a national title isn't for lack of trying. They've been right there on the cusp, and they've run into Dabo Swinney and and, and uh, Nick Saban. Like there are greater sins than that. Um, or I guess Oklahoma ran into to Georgia as well. But, you know, it's not like they're they are getting their butts kicked by nobodies, by scrubs. It's not like they're they're not competitive. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think the air raid is the problem. I think USC's execution and practice is the problem and preparation and all that kind of stuff. And you could say that maybe the air raid, maybe the pure air raid offenses prepare a certain way and maybe that doesn't lend itself to fixing USC's problems. But like you said, Oklahoma prepares just fine. They have a really good offensive line and that kind of makes a difference. They develop quarterbacks really well, and that kind of makes a difference. But mostly, Oklahoma, for the, you know, when they're winning, they're not making massive mistakes. Their offense is clicking, their offense clicks in the red zone, they get the ball in the end zone, and they win games. So that those are the things, you know, USC, 
it's not the scheme. It's the execution for me. And the execution does come back to coaching and all of that. But yeah, you know, you mentioned the uh, the execution and the, the coaching and how that affects things. This reminds me, we got an email or a comment on editor.com about this, about the car cast that said, Michael, Alicia, you're 100% wrong. This is not about that. This is not about the scheme. The reason the players need to play at such a high level is because the scheme does not put players in position to succeed. Harold came to the program and his big idea was to simplify, but that simplification means that opposing defenses can focus on the few things that USC does and find a way to take them away. A true air raid offense stretches the offense, the defense out, and the uh, the part of the stretch is throwing to the running backs or throwing to the tight end, etc. It is about the routes being run by the players. I've also heard a leech interview where he said that every player on the field need to give 100% on each play, and even if they were not given the ball, so that it stretched the defense and got someone else open. If you run an air raid, but your players are not truly running patterns that stress the defense, then you force your quarterback to make tight throws, and that results in mistakes. The easiest way to prevent mistakes is to create a scheme that an opposing defense can't easily defend. Don't blame this on the players. It's about the coaching. This is an interesting comment because I agree with 99% of everything that's being said here. I think that Graham Harrell is still a, a coach who's young and he's going to be getting through a lot of this and learning, you know, essentially on the job a little bit, right? And, you know, that's a point that we've heard many times over about USC. At the same point, I don't think what we were talking about in the car cast is blaming the players. I, I, I think that we're talking about the that the scheme in general has has been productive in order to see the offense gain yards. What is killing off the drive are the big crucial mistakes, and that comes down to execution. But but saying that it's on execution I and mean, that it's execution is not blaming the players when there is a slew of mistakes and a slew of execution fails, because that's absolutely on the coaches to address those things. So I, I don't think that we're just blaming the players here. Don't 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 confuse it that way. Well, and that's the thing is I put this on Twitter uh, in response to a Gerard Martinez tweet, um, where I think he was he was correctly getting to this point. One turnover is on the player. One mistake they bear personal responsibility for that mistake. Every player on that field has personal responsibility. They're all adults, by the way. They're all eighteen plus. So they do. Kids. What are you talking about? They do bear responsibility for what happens on the field, but a trend of turnovers, a trend of mistakes. This was a tweet that was talking about how USC ranks, you know, one hundred fifty thousandth in turnover margin going back the last two years, um, which is only a slight exaggeration. That's on the coaching. That's on the preparation. That's on the coaching figuring out how to prevent the players from making those execution mistakes. How in putting them in position to not make those mistakes or not accepting those mistakes and then forcing them to up their game in order to prevent to 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 get that out of their game. So, yeah, when we criticize the players, every criticism of a player comes back to the buck stopping at the coach and every criticism of an assistant coach comes back to the, the buck stopping at the coordinator and every criticism of the coordinator comes back to the buck stopping at the head coach like the buck right. stops will it will. It's implied where the buck stops. We don't have to say before every sentence that we say, you know, Drake London needs to catch that pass. Kerry Colbert needs to stop Drake London. But, but you know, but remember that Kerry Colbert needs to stop Drake London from, from making that mistake. But also the offensive coordinator needs to have a better sense of Kerry Colbert or whatever. And But also Graham Harrell is Clay Helton's responsibility and it's all Clay Helton's fault. But also who hired Clay Helton and who's allowed him to stay employed and all this kind of like – 
Right. You can go down it's a the bunch line. of envelopes inside of other envelopes. Yes. Yeah. But Russian but, dolls. But but it, but it's not a flat. You know, just blaming on the players at all. And and really, it goes. But we back also to, can't whitewash it. Like again, I no, I get no, really right, mad right, 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 at the right. idea that like it's never like it's not the players' faults. Well, I mean, again, these guys are adults. It is partly their fault. They are a product of their environment, but they also bear responsibility. Like you, there, you can have it. You can have it both ways on this. Well, you mentioned the one inter- one interception is on the quarterback, for instance, but the string of them are on the coach or what or whatnot. Or turnovers in general, right? But isn't that the same way with how we're talking about USC's losses this year? Any one of these four losses, you can make an excuse for. You can make a, you can provide a dissertation that explains why that wasn't the the worst loss in the world. Because you know at BYU it was uh it it, it was overtime and you know um true freshman quarterback uh, making his true first freshman start. quarterback and you know that true freshman quarterback still led them. To ten points in the fourth quarter to to tie it and and all that stuff and then against Washington you had the picks and and then Notre Dame you, it's a great team and all that stuff you can make all those arguments but it's still the collection of those losses that that matters and frames how we look at it so it's the same thing it, it really is the same thing uh, let's go to another email from Tim last one well the game was what it was and the team is what it is. In light of some things I've seen on Twitter from you two, I was wondering, number one, what is your co-host's worst food take? Number two, what is an unpopular food food take from your co-host you actually agree with? Bonus question, what are your thoughts on the Pizza Hut stuffed Cheez-It pizza? I thought it was trash. I knew going in it was going to be trash, but curiosity got the best of me. Thanks as always for the great work. Fight on Tim in Los Angeles. This is a tough question because you have a lot of bad food takes that I think are your worst food take. So no, I don't. I really do not have bad food takes at all. Okay, I have very, so the obvious bad food, food take is the bacon thing. The obvious bad food take mm-hmm. is the bacon thing. But I don't actually think that's your worst food take. I think your worst food take might be the foods can't touch on the plate thing. I don't understand how that's the worst. I think that's the worst because it's the most generic because – all of the other ones, like, I think your your dislike of gravy makes no sense to me whatsoever. Like, that one blows my mind um, because gravy seems to me like a Michael-friendly food. Uh-uh. Uh, but really, when First I- of all, the thought of it being meat juice sounds disgusting. <laughs> meat juice is the best. Um, but yeah, I keep going back to the uh, food camp be- because I love combo, like, I love combining foods. Like, that's one of my favorite things. Like- we had that whole conversation on Slack about Thanksgiving dinner. My favorite thing is loading up my Thanksgiving plate and having the weird, like, the edges where things touch. Like, you get those weird combo flavors that are actually quite good. But you got to be strategic about it. Yeah. But, like, I like mixing foods together. No. Food food should not touch. Rice is, should only be eaten out of a bowl by itself. Uh, you have, okay, again, so many, so many bad food takes. Um, the unpopular food take of yours that I actually agree with, there are quite a few actually, but I don't remember them right now. I think we both agree that mustard is trash, except I've come around on honey mustard. So like, I think we both, your, our agreement that yellow mustard is trash works. All mustard trash. Yeah. But I do love honey mustard. You, you are a uh, mayo stand with me though. I am. 
I'm a major mayo stand with but, you. But that's not that's not an unpopular take. No, I think people have hot takes about mayo, but those are their hot takes. I think most yeah. people appreciate mayo for what it is. I would hope so, because mayo is mayo's mayo's life. Uh, what is Alicia's worst food take? Um, probably that things can intermingle. Uh, <laughs> not not to just rip on what you're talking about, but like the um mixing things that make no sense oh i love doing uh, that like cheese it's and milk to make cereal okay no that's not i did no such th- oh i did i did it once you and did. it was a fail i'm not i don't the stand the cheese it's and milk thing i do stand cheese it's in a uh cheese it's you... in honey mustard or cheese it's in like vanilla pudding or cheese it's right. in ice cream what, what did we just talk about we said that if a player does this thing they are enabled by their coach, right? Yeah. So you did this thing, which means you were enabled by your opinion that it was okay. I tried it. It didn't That's work. That's why it's your worst for But, food I, but I, in order to appreciate all of the random- that it was okay. If I never tried french fries in, in, in a shake, how would I know it's awesome? You have to take risks in order to find what these combos do. And occasionally you're going to come across combos that have don't ever- work. But you yeah, gotta try p- potato chip and uh, in cow pie. Is that good too? Like probably. You haven't tried that, so you might as well try that too. I mean, food. I mean, what are you thinking about it? No, I'm not not like an actual <laughs> cow pie, but I put a potato chip in like a chocolate cake fudge thing that they call a cow pie. <sighs> Killing me. Uh, what is an unpopular food tick that Alicia and I actually agree with? That spicy food is garbage. Oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Neither of us like spicy food. No. Yeah. Spice is pointless. Yeah. Spice. Well, I understand the point of spice. I just but, no, but spice is unpleasant. That's I don't my understand thing. why anyone w- would want to have something that's unpleasant. I understand spice as a flavor, but what I don't understand is f- spice as a like pain, like that people appreciate the pain of a really spicy thing. Like if if. If food is painful, like spicy food is, then I don't understand. A pre- I don't understand liking it. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. So, like, I like the taste of jalapenos, but I don't like the spice of jalapenos. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't agree with that, but well, like, yeah, I, I get the concept. Yeah. As for the 100%. Pizza Hut stuff, cheese it pizza. I have thoughts. A. Was it totally unnecessary? Yes. Um. B, was it less of a train wreck than I thought it would be? Yeah. The first couple of bites of that thing were actually pretty satisfying. The problem is, is that, like, it doesn't keep well in terms of, like, the third bite starts to deteriorate real quick. And you just don't want any more of it after a couple more bites. So, yeah, um, unnecessary things. This is this is my thing about like the one thing where I think you get bacon right, Michael. Just because it's bacon doesn't mean it needs to be in everything. Doesn't need to be everything. Doesn't need to be bacon. Uh, yeah, the people who put freaking bacon and mac and cheese. What the hell are you oh, doing? No, that's You're really good it. though. That's really good. No, it's not. Bacon is wonderful in a lot of things, but it doesn't it's have to be in everything. For the people who don't like bacon. So Cheez Its are wonderful on their own, and I dig the idea of trying to recreate a Cheez Its stuffed pizza. But the fact of the matter is, it was never going to work. So, it was unnecessary. 
the way I look at it is. But now, uh, just to mess with you, I just had an idea. What if I made cheese it nachos? Like Cheez-Its with like a marinara sauce on top and then top it all with mozzarella. <gasps> I'm doing it. Okay, cool. That wouldn't be nachos. Be nachos? That would be... that. No, that would be... um. That would be... A Cheez-It Parmesan? Cheez no, yeah, Cheez-It Parmesan. No, but they're Cheez-Its, like the chips. Like nachos would be... You do cheese and then yeah, the salsa. Yeah, but Cheez-It nachos would be... You'd put cheese, like cheddar cheese on it or whatever, and there'd just be cheese or beans. No, because because nachos you do... Cheese on top, but then you usually top it with like salsa or beans or something or sour yeah. cream or something yeah. else. That's what exactly. I do. Exactly. Do the, but you, but you said tomato sauce. Yeah, because the tomato sauce Which would be would the not salsa. Make it nachos. Nachos do not include tomato sauce. Nope. The salt. The the salsa substitute would be like a marinara sauce. No, that, that, that's cheese at Parmesan. What if I put cheese it's on a pizza? I'd do it. See, here's the problem about cheese it's cheese it's the the flavor of cheese in the cheese it's. Is a strong flavor. Yeah. It's its own flavor. It's good. I love it. It's its own flavor. It's a different type of cheese flavor than the cheese of a pizza, which is why it should be separate. Now, about these stuffed cheese at pizza, I'm, I have not had it. Everything I've heard says treat it like an appetizer. Yes. If you treat it like an appetizer, it's fine. Don't treat it like an actual pizza. Yes, this is true. Just just, just treat it like a um, like an oddly shaped mozzarella stick. Oddly shaped and seasoned mozzarella stick, and if you look at it that way, then it's fine. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not good if you look at it as pizza or calzone. But it's also not necessarily better than a mozzarella stick. Right. So what's the right. point? Right. It's also definitely not better than a calzone. Are... So again, what's the point? Yeah, and mozzarella sticks are the best food on earth. If you say so. I literally think so. Like, I, I I, cannot think of a better food in its purity that is better than a perfectly fried mozzarella stick. Uh, I give you pizza. The best mozzarella stick is probably better than the best pizza. This is this is lies. This is officially but, your but, worst food take. No, 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 no. But, but you see, they're, they're different things. Like, you'd never compare an entree to a side. Well, anyway, but you said so it's it the best even... food. If I could justifiably eat just mozzarella sticks for the rest of my life and that's it, I would totally do it. I yeah. would not. Definitely not. Nope. You don't? Nope. This is a bad food take. You don't like American cheese. I tolerate I, American cheese. Now you do. Yeah. That's that's newfound. Yeah. But she, she says that she gives me that hurry up. Hurry up. Uh, do we want to tell the <laughs> listeners that this episode is currently two hours and 16 minutes long and we had a 15 minute intro that we recorded on top of this recording? Ooh, buddy. I know. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> we can continue to lumber on, but this is a marathon episode that's getting. The, yeah. The, the people wanted this. Yeah. Tim, Tim needed to hear that. So. Remember when we talked about recording this episode early in the day? It's 1119. Yeah. For me, it's ten nineteen for you. Yeah, which is you normally when we hour. start recording, so that's good. You can good, go to but... sleep right now, and you'll you can be asleep by ten thirty. Well, then let's go. All right, see ya, bye. See ya. You want to do a final word? No. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. 
Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.